Hello, and welcome to episode 217 of Flicks in a Six. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanzo, with me forever and always, the man, the myth, the hideous chode of a Lobot, Alessandro Bielsi. Say hello, Al. I'm not even the Lobot? <laughs> <laughs> also joining us this week, Cousin Mike. Hi, Mike. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me back. <laughs> so glad to have you here. On this week's episode, we've got Tupac, Seinfeld, what year is it? WGA contract ratified, and other news and nuggets, all before diving into our flick of the week. And this is your this is your second episode, right, Mike? Yes. So we've got... What just happened? <laughs> Um, we don't record the video for the users, but balloons, balloons everywhere because I held the number two up and apparently my computer likes to do things like that. Um, what? yeah, I, I, I found another one before. I'm just gonna go like this and this, this should be fireworks. Um, <laughs> it's got, I didn't know it had that sort of reactive, it's, interactive. It's the now. latest version of Mac OS and there's certain gestures that when you do them, it like, it just does something um <laughs> and really? it's it's caught me by a surprise in a couple of work meetings i've done it intentionally in some but i keep finding ones that i don't know about and they just <laughs> it just weird things keep happening i keep doing this for alan mike nobody else can see them but that's that's, that's okay. just for that's just for us sorry okay so this is your second episode yeah mike both was... kevin smith movies so we're just gonna keep you on the kevin smith track it sounds Oh, was the last one he was on the Kevin Smith movie? I didn't even remember that. Was it Mallrats? It was Mallrats. Mall okay. Yeah, because yeah, we did that. Yeah. That was one of the Easter episodes, right? And Dominic yes. and Mike joined us in the basement for uh, yes, one of Yes, I, I walked in the door and you just like kidnapped me into the basement. Downstairs! <laughs> yes. Well, because for the longest time you always said, oh, I don't want to do the show. I don't like doing like public speaking, which is funny because you're a teacher. Um, and... Uh, you know, I was like, okay, so we'll just bam, like bamboozle you and ambush you and just have you join a show where you're not the only other person like Dominic Coles to be there. Plus, we're all in person. And now this time I told Anthony, it's like, oh, yeah, I probably have to do some convincing, but we both want to do clerks and we need someone who loves Kevin Smith's stuff to, yes, but specifically to meet Anthony on, on his level because I, it's not something I'm quite capable of doing. And you didn't take much convincing, actually. I was surprised. Uh, Yeah, I believe me. There's... Well, well, we'll get we'll get into it, but um, <laughs> uh, there are other movies I would have chosen over this one. Well, I'll say it that way. I'm sure you would have, but that's not the point of the show. Always, I, I know. I believe you. I, I know. I'm not. A fan <laughs> it's a sliding like, I know. I am your listener. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, certainly, our most dedicated listener. Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes we pick movies we know we're going to like. Sometimes we pick movies we know we're going to hate. Like um, last episode. Uh, and uh, sometimes we just speak for yourself. I yeah, it's a bad movie. Um, <laughs> Gary mean, loved it. Which you're not wrong. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all good. This is gonna be great. I'm happy to have you here again. Uh, but before we dive into this, Al, what are we drinking? So, in uh, surprisingly more and more organized versions of this less organized show by the minute. Uh, all three of us, despite not being in the same location, have the same beer again. This is truly uh, unprecedented. Mm. Um, this is an Equilibrium Wavelength. Uh, it's an India Pale Ale. It's um, help us ensure cold chain. Uh, this did not maintain proper cold chain um, <laughs> protocols, but it says purchase cold, trade cold, keep cold. If it's not cold, ask why. That's kind of helpful, but also ominous. Um <laughs> 
This is from Middletown, New York, which is, you know, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes from me, depending on where in Middletown you go. And um, it's a pint, which we love. We do love and those it's pints. 6.5% alcohol by volume. How old is this one? This one's not that old. Uh, well, Mike's is probably pretty new. Um, I don't know how new or old mine is, slash yours is. I don't see Our cans look different now. Yeah, wow. they're definitely from different. <laughs> they're definitely from different runs of uh, of beer cans. So uh, yeah, yours is a little bit more dramatic. Ours is much more um, same ish beer, repressed. Uh, but <laughs> all right. Oh, hey, here's a here's a. Oh no, the date's rubbed off. Yeah, mine is kind of. Um, looks like it got yeah, like got smudged when it was printed. Like a, it, I, I don't know what two slash twenty two could possibly be leading to, but. February twenty second. No, but there's way more. There's way more that's rubbed off, so I don't. Doesn't look like that. That's like the actual date. So ah, okay. Hopefully this well, is. I'm sure it's fine. It's not. Yeah. It's definitely not the oldest one we've ever done. I can guarantee that. Probably no, not even close. To that's that, true. So, um, that's true. I want to say this is from earlier this year. Okay. So not that old. I would say we should talk about the can art, but we can't. They're well, old. they all have lambdas on them, which is the uh, <laughs> the the sign for wavelength in uh, science. And uh, ours has me and Anthony's has like the spectrum of the rainbow colors on it. Mike's yours looked like it was a little bit more um, involved than that. So there's wires. It's got the colors as wires, and then I don't know they're being like plugged in. Oh, that's cool! Lamb. And it's like it looks like an old school. Um, it's it's like, kind of like the Pink Floyd uh, "Dark Side of the Moon" prism thing. Yeah, with, like the the light. Refraction, a little bit, and all that. Nice, I dig it. Bit. Sweet, yeah. I like their logo. The the, the, the kind of three quarters or ninety percent of a circle. That's yeah, hand, like maybe an drawn. eclipse, maybe not. Not quite sure, but I like it. I dig it. I can't fit the whole beer in this glass on account of the extreme head retention, um, and it's bouncy. <laughs> you know, we really messed up. We should have done this. Or we could do it with another one since the name of the brewery, but we should do an Equilibrium beer with the movie Equilibrium since I've mentioned it on the show a few times. I think, Anthony, you said you've never seen it, but you know of it. Correct. Uh, Mike, have you ever seen Equilibrium? I have. That's uh, Christian Bale, Tay Diggs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. Solid movie. Uh, I mean, I'm in. Do we have another okay. Equilibrium beer in the fridge, don't we? We've definitely done one before. Uh, I don't know if we still have one kicking around there. I know we still have a few Treehouse. Still have a couple of Newbergs, a couple of Tin Barns. Uh, I want you to know, in in getting this beer out of that fridge, I I did battle with just the most massive silverfish centipede thing I've ever seen in my life. Inside the fridge? No, it was on the wall next to it. Oh, okay. But I killed it with a swiffer. Nice. Dominic gets, <laughs> Dominic gets creepy crawlies in his apartment, which I hate because like a lot of times if I'm there and we're like playing a video game or something like that, a lot of times I'll sit on the floor in front of the TV mm. and I'll see it sneaking up on me in the shadows that are reflected from the game or I will yeah. see it crawl over my foot or something like that. And I'm not a huge fan of that. No, unsubscribe. I don't want any of that. Uh, let's give this beer a taste. It's yes. A much better Cheers. topic. Cheers. Wow. Somebody's got a clink. That was nice. It was my, my fingernail on the, my glass. Oh, it smells delightful. Oh, that's good. Come on. Sorry, I haven't sipped it yet. I'm just too busy with wafting it. That's so tasty. See, like... Okay, wait. It tastes as good as it smells. Go. I'm going back in. It's sweeter than I expected. It's mm-hmm. almost kind of like a triple S- sort of Starburst? Sweetener. There's some juicy... Orange too, Starburst. Like residual <laughs> sweetness, for sure. Yeah. That's, um... That's really nice. It's, I feel like 
at like the beginning of the sip, it feels kind of thick and heavy, but it, it, it immediately gets airy and then it's sweet and it's juicy. It's got like a wide variety of mouthfeels going on, but not I, uh, as, not as hoppy as I expected either. No, no, I definitely, I kind of, I'm kind of with you on the, the, like that, that kind of triple flavor. Yeah. This is definitely going to have some like candy sugar or something in there to beef up. That's why it feels slash tastes heavy, but it's sweet. Like it's not necessarily in an overwhelming way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, you're not really an IPA guy, right? So how's this treating you? Uh, you're right. I'm not an IPA guy. <laughs> uh, it's How not polite. the worst one I've ever had. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, I, I am not an IPA guy. So when I believe you, when you gave me three beers to get, I searched high and low for the other two. <laughs> this is the only one I could find. Yeah, sorry about that. Um but uh, I found this one two counties away, and still this is the only one. Well, because at that point you were probably closer to me, and this is in the same county. Yeah, so I was in so. Uh, Poughkeepsie. Yeah, and, so you're uh, right across the river. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, nightmare well, of not- a word to spell. Poughkeepsie? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's not super bitter or hoppy, right? So that, that, I'm guessing that's probably what in an IPA you don't typically like. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, where do we stand on the rating here, Al? You want to go first? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two thuckles. The sweetness is a little out of balance for my liking in an IPA. Like it's mm-hmm. it's interesting in this. You don't see this very often, so I appreciate they tried something a little different. It doesn't feel like it's like a lack of attenuation in a in an a, in an uncontrolled way. It, it tastes intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not what I typically expect for a double IPA. Sure. Yeah, I'd I'd go two duckles on this as well. It actually kind of tastes very similar to a beer mosa that I had recently this weekend. Kind of, yeah. Um, But they were intentionally added orange juice to something to add that sweetness and juiciness to it. Uh, Yeah. It was already in this can. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, Mike, what about you? Uh, I guess I would go one. Wow, okay, cool. All right, all right. Still positive, though. Still up. Still not. We're not not saying you were... All right. <laughs> I was holding out hope that he was going to say, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> One day. One day. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Golden opportunity. Uh, we, yeah. we, have some, we have some news and nuggets to get into this week. Uh, all from Al. Thank you kindly, Al. Um, I'm, 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 I'm stalling right now because what I'm, I'm trying to type in the timestamp, and I just... Like you said, you, I fat, now you I have... fat-fingered... <laughs> I, I I put like X's in front of the line. It was bad. Anyway, we're, we're you said here. You've, you've now got right two time. places to account for the time in which you're not going to remember to write it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tell me, uh, you brought up on, on your list, you got Tupac here. I do. Let's start there. This would have been a little bit more powerful last week because by the time this comes out, it's going to be several weeks later. Uh, I got to say. I like to think that our listeners only get rel- like rel- like news from us. So if they're just so, on our wavelength, we're good. Did you guys see that movie that came out like two years ago with Tom Hanks for Apple called News of the World? I think that's what it was called. No, I did. He, it was like in the 1800s and he was one of those guys who like goes to a city and like buys all the newspapers and then like rides out into the the towns and the villages that are like days away from cities and okay. tells them the news that's happened like six months ago. 
And she yelled um, extra. I it almost performs it in a way, right? Yeah, he kind of oh. did it in the way that like a like a, a like a storyteller would like yeah, gather around cool. the fire because it became an event. Like everyone would literally gather around in like the town center for him, and he would like basically yeah he did he had like a theatrical delivery of the news. Okay, that sounds kind of cool. What was that called? I think it was News of the World, right? News of the World. It was. Okay, yeah. So anyway, that's this podcast. Apparently, if you only get your news from us. <laughs> Weeks ago, Tupac's murderer it's, may or may not have been part, arrested. One part news of the world, one part history of the world. Yeah. Part one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, in case you missed it, because it, it, it's weird how little public... I, I thought this would have been a story people would have talked about online for days, and I didn't really see that, other than people having the same initial reaction I did, which was, huh, after all mm. this time, really? Like, I would have thought, like, considering how big a topic this was off and on for the last 25 years, that someone would... Like, this would really have been a big news cycle item, and it wasn't. But yeah. um, I have this story from, uh, like, two weeks ago or something, and uh, we're just going to kind of peruse it real quick. This is on yeah. Rolling Stone. I think all my news is on Rolling Stone this week. Man charged with murder in connection for, to Tupac Shakur's killing. Dwayne Kef D. Davis, who told BET in 2018 that he knew who killed Shakur, was arrested and charged Friday morning. This is the guy that was, like, in the car and handed the gun to somebody? Something along those lines, yeah. Okay. Now, I gotta, I'm got. i going to stop here real quick. I feel like if you're the guy who killed someone in one of the most famous unsolved murder mysteries of all time, you wouldn't want to go around all the time talking about how much you knew about it. Because, like, <laughs> even if it wasn't you, you know, eventually, um, <clears throat> you know, someone's going to come, like, subpoena you because there is no... Um, statue of limitations on murder. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you hit that like 20 year mark and you're like, ah, I made it. <laughs> yeah, other crimes you can do that. Um, not this one, not murder. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you kids and that damn dog. <laughs> also, if you're a material witness to murder and other similar crimes, um, they can throw you in jail until you divulge the information you have. Mm. If you credibly say that you have information that can help them resolve a crime, like that is a real thing that can happen. You can go sure. to jail just for knowing about it. If you don't tell, they can't um, charge a husband and wife for the same crime. I have the worst fucking attorney. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a Las Vegas man was arrested and charged Friday in connection to the fatal drive by, by shooting a fatal drive-by shooting of Tupac Shakur in 1996. Now, here we go. Al's trying to now, read again. This one was on me. This one was on me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's on me, coach. Um, Dwayne Kefty Davis was arrested Friday morning. He has officially been charged with murder with use of a deadly weapon. A Nevada grand jury indicted Davis in the killing. Prosecutors announced in court Friday. Um, they called Davis the, quote, on-ground, on-site commander who ordered the death of Shakur. Back in July, Las Vegas police revealed that they had searched Davis's home in connection with the investigation of Shakur's murder. Through the police, sorry, though the police said the warrant was, quote, part of the ongoing Tupac Shakur homicide investigation, they declined to offer any further details at the time. According to a warrant obtained by NBC at the time, authorities searched Davis's house, specifically looking at desktops and other electronic storage devices, including thumb drives, CDs, external hard drives, and audio recordings. The warrant reportedly uncovered a Pokeball USB drive, a black iPhone, two iPads, and a purple Toshiba laptop, among other items. 
the, I, the AP said it has made attempts to reach Davis, a former gang member, since the warrant, but received no response. <clears throat> it's unclear if he has an attorney. Um, it is the arguably the biggest development in the unsolved homicide in years, though numerous investigations, books, and pretty wild conspiracy theories have spread up over the years. Las Vegas <clears throat> Metro PD appeared to make little public pro- progress in solving the case. Just to reiterate, that it was 27 years ago that this happened. Uh, following the search warrant, retired Los Angeles police detective Greg Kading told the Associated Press that it was Kefti's own book that would likely finally result in charges in the 1996 murder. Oh, God. It, quote, it's those events that have given Las Vegas the ammunition and the leverage to move forward. Prior to his public declarations, the cases Sorry, were I, unprosecutable I, I, as they stood. I gotta pause you for a second. When did the search happen? The search happened... Back then. No, no, the one that's, like, finally triggered this whole, like, arrest happening was earlier this year. Earlier earlier this year. Okay, got it. Yeah. The one with the Pokeball USB yes, drive. correct. Gotta catch them all. Yeah, because uh, if I remember correctly, and you would know this better than me, but USB drives weren't a thing in 1996, correct? I think we're at, probably the zip drive would have been, like... If you were, if you had like a lot of money, maybe or floppy disks. Yeah, it was, it was floppy disks, zip, zip yeah. drives, or maybe a CD, right? Yeah, I had a zip drive once. I don't know what was on it because I didn't what? have it. I had like not a drive. I had like the zip disk for a zip drive <laughs> that was like I uncovered it in at the pizzeria, but we didn't have a zip drive. I have no idea what was on it. So, yeah, that's <laughs> I don't the end of my story. <laughs> if I ever actually used a zip drive, I can't picture what the drive or the disk looked like. I had a computer game on like 16 floppy disks. Probably could have fit on like eight zip drives. <laughs> I, might have had, I might have had one or two games that came on multiple floppy disks. Mike, I feel like this would have been more your thing, right? Because you're about, what, how old are I, you now? Are you 10 years older than Anthony? I'm 46. Um, and my first computer in 99 had a zip drive. Nice. nice. And I may or may not have used that as the landing spot for all the illegal music from Napster. Nice. Yes. Hypothetically, I'm saying. But yes, sure. of course. Statue of limitations on that surely must have expired. All Mike away off the call. And if this podcast is the uh, smoking gun that Kefti's book was to his murdering of <laughs> Tupac Shakur, then you have my deepest and sincerest apologies, Mike. <laughs> Al, since you're the guy that turned me on the cinephobe, Amin Alhassan this past week just talked about he thought the zip drive lasted from like 98 to 01. He yes. had it that thin down. Yeah, big big <laughs> Diane Kruger moment for us that, yeah, literally last week they were talking about it on cinephobe. Wow. Zip, zip drive. <laughs> yeah. I haven't we're had all conversation connected. about that in 20 years. Yeah, I forgot it was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Back oh, to man. the story here. Davis has long said that he was at the scene of the crime, sitting in the front seat of the car involved in the drive-by shooting. Now, Davis is a suspect arrested. One of the last times the case garnered a public statement from the LVMPD was in 2018 after Davis claimed on an episode of BET's Death Row Chronicles that he knew who killed Shakur. Quote, going to keep it for the code of the streets. It just came from the back seat, bro. He didn't reveal any names. He also did not deny that Orlando Anderson, his late nephew, could have been the killer. He later wrote about it in his 2019 tell-all memoir, Compton Street Legend. Um, <laughs> quote, Tupac made an erratic move and began to reach down behind beneath his seat. He wrote in the book, it was the first and only time in my life that I could relate to the police command, keep your hands where I can see them. Instead, Pac pulled out a strap and that's when the fireworks started. One of my guys from the backseat grabbed the Glock and started 
busting back. The revelations in the memoir, coupled with the many interviews Davis conducted following the book's publication that further implicated his role in the shooting, presumably resulted in Las Vegas police revisiting the case this past summer. Although I, I still have questions about this timeline because the book came out five years ago hmm. and they didn't obtain a warrant to search him until earlier this year. This is a slow moving wheel, that government. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's not even like you could just blame the pandemic on this either. Cause like they had yeah. all of 2018 and 2019 and the beginning of 2020 to do this as well. Did huh. nobody read the book? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh yeah, I've been meaning to get to it. It's back there somewhere. Like I, I picked up the book and I just, I, man, I haven't gotten to it yet. I don't know. You read, <laughs> you, you read the book, you have your Hank Schrader moment on the toilet. <laughs> I know who did it. <laughs> WW. <laughs> um, Amazing. Davis has long claimed that he was not one of the shooters, instead saying his cousin Orlando Baby Lane Anderson was the one who killed Shakur. Anderson, who was named as the main suspect in a wrongful death lawsuit filed by Tupac's mother, Afini Shakur, was killed two years later in 1998 in a gang-related shooting in Compton. Davis' other two alleged associates in his car on the night of the shooting Terrence Bubble Up Brown and DeAndre. I'm just picturing a stenographer losing their mind in the courtroom right now, <laughs> like trying to keep up with all this. I know there's too many nicknames in this as well. Ter- Terrence Bubble Up Brown and DeAndre Freaky Smith are also dead. Brown was shot and killed in Los Angeles in 2015, while Davis has claimed that Smith is also dead, making him the last living witness beside Knight. So I guess Wait, what did he just like claim, everyone claim that somebody was dead? Yeah, the second. Uh, DeAndre Freaky Smith uh, may or may not be dead. We're going on um, the guy who was arrested, Davis, uh, his word that he's dead. Um, Tupac was shot in September 7th, 1996 in Las Vegas while en route to a nightclub with Death Row Records co-founder Shug Knight following a Mike Tyson fight. While Knight and Shakur's car was idling at a stoplight, a white Cadillac pulled up next to their vehicle on the passenger side and unidentified gunman fired 14 shots. Shakur was hit four times and died several days later on September 13th. While no arrests were ever made, Anderson was identified as an early suspect. He was an alleged Crips gang member with whom Shakur had a run-in earlier that night after the boxing match. Members of the entourage followed Knight and Shakur's car even told police that Anderson fired the shots. Anderson, however, was eventually killed in 1998 in an unrelated gang shooting and no other leads emerged. Hmm. So I don't know if there's been any updates. Like I said, this is from like probably almost two weeks ago. But uh, yeah, kind of seems like kind of a big deal after, uh, I mean... Like, yeah. That was like one of the, like the big big stories of the late nineties was was sure. Tupac being murdered. We like we all have heard the uh, conspiracy theories that he's not actually dead and that he fell off the face of the earth, disappeared, went on to live life outside of this whole thing and all that BS and everything. And the fact that this is one of the big unsolved murders and like the fact that the the Biggie murder is also unsolved and happened within a couple of months or weeks or whatever of of that one as well. Makes it all the weirder that the two of them both should uh, go down like so close together, and, and neither one ever solved. So, yeah, very interesting. Until this one, maybe possibly because the guy who may or may not have ordered it um, decides that he really wants to talk about it a lot now. I just love, would love it if that on the Pokeball flash drive was just that like Tubak is alive and well, and he's just like, <laughs> wait, this is turning into like the Force Awakens, where like the Pokeball USB is the last piece of the map that'll show That's you right. where to get to. <laughs> Yeah. It's a tupac. It's a rap holocron. It's a rap holocron. Fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, this also reminded me, uh, and Mike, you'll also appreciate this too, because this is something we talk about on Cinephone a decent amount. The, the 
the role models one where the guy is on the video recording after stealing. Look, who could imagine me, whatever the guy's name is, stealing all of these TVs? As this guy, yeah, yeah, I know I'm the only person because everyone else who was involved is dead or Suge Knight's in prison for life without parole. No one else could possibly tell you who killed him, but I can, and I'm going to keep talking about it. And it definitely wasn't me, guys, but I know who it was. (laughs) God. Oh, man. Speaking of uh, stories in the 90s, what's the Seinfeld thing that you got on here? Oh, perfect. So this one is actually much newer news. This was from today or yesterday. Newer Um, news. You know, new being the operative word in news. Um, Also from Rolling Stone. Jerry Seinfeld says something is going to happen with that infamous Seinfeld finale. The the comedian said he and Larry David had something in the works, though declined to provide further details. Jerry Seinfeld is scheming to do something related to the finale. In a short video clip circulating online, Seinfeld was asked at a recent stand-up how... God damn it. (laughs) Pop-ups. Is this Rolling Stone again? Uh, It is. Great article, horrible site. You get your one free, your one free article. No, I I'm a fucking too. subscriber because my close personal friend Alan Sepinwall writes behind a paywall, and uh, I support the writers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a fucking advertisement, and I can't get it to go away. Amazing. Because I love the internet. Site is kind of frozen at the moment. It looks like I'm trying oh. reloading this because uh, that kind of uh, took the wind out of my sails a bit. Uh, here we go, uh, and we're back. In a short video clip circulating online, Seinfeld was asked at a recent stand-up if he liked the Seinfeld finale. In response, the comedian said he had a little secret about the finale, adding, something's going to happen that has to do with that ending. It hasn't happened yet. Just what you're thinking about. Larry David and I have also been thinking about it. So you'll see. (laughs) While the Seinfeld finale was one of the most watched episodes of television ever, with 76 million viewers, which, in present day, that is an insane number to think about. Yeah. It's long been divisive amongst fans and critics. Um, Rolling Stone labeled it among the worst TV finales ever in 2015. Um, and that just goes on to talk about the fact that it's about the four of them getting put on trial and all the random side characters being brought in, uh, in court to hammer them being terrible people and such and so on. So, um, he has expressed some misgivings about the episode of the years. Um, in 2017 in a New York, in a New Yorker festival, uh, he said, I sometimes think we really shouldn't have done it. There was a lot of pressure on us at the time to do one last big show, but big is always bad in comedy. David, for his part, has acknowledged the criticism while also remaining more partial to the episode. In the 2014 uh, interview, he said he wanted an ending that wasn't mushy or emotional like Cheers. Let me toot my own horn for a second. I thought it was clever to bring back all those characters in a courtroom and testify against the four for what they did and then show those clips. I... I retroactively watched Seinfeld. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't watching it. Like I, I wasn't like well like into it while it was on it by any means. Um, like I was with friends, like where I kind of got into it and then watched it through to the finale. So I watched Seinfeld like actually not that long ago. Um, it's probably like, well, maybe it was like five or 10 years ago, but like I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I actually really, I really enjoyed the finale. Uh, where do you, do you, have you all seen it? Where do you stand? Like, did you watch it concurrently? I know my parents did, but I was a bit young for it. I did. I when when it started, it started in the early '90s, so I guess I was in high school and followed it. A lot of stuff went over my head, but it grew into my favorite comedy, and I was big time let down by the finale. It's yeah. uh, it's not 
Killing Eve or or Dexter. I mean, Dexter <laughs> to me is the the worst finale I've ever seen. Uh, you know, Game of Thrones. Let's, let's put Game of Thrones in the conversation. Seinfeld sure. did not hit that level. Um, I loved the show. The, the finale let me down. You know, okay. and I don't think anything was going to match the hype. I really I, don't think for, it was super hyped. The thing that I'm most blown away right now is I, I got the impression from what you just said that you watched all of Killing Eve and I just couldn't handle that show was just so bad to me after the first season. I was just like, no, I walked yeah, away. No, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've been told I have the opposite of commitment issues, especially when it comes to TV. <laughs> Uh, that, that's my cousin Chris. He tells me he's like, "Why are you still watching that?" I watched Walking Dead till the end, and I hate hate watched the last five years of that thing. Sure, five years, yeah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, Anthony was my soulmate with that. I think Anthony yeah. watched it into the ground. I did, you know, I sure did. It's uh, I complained about it every week on this show. <laughs> you did. I cathartically would listen. I'm like, I agree. <laughs> um, I have seen the Seinfeld finale. I've seen a pretty good sample of the episodes of the show just randomly like on reruns, but I've never like actually sat down and watched start to finish. It is a funny show. It's, it is good enough. It's a testament to how good of a show it is because it uh, outstrips my dislike for the format because I really hate the canned laugh track, you know, multicam sitcom or whatever, where they like stop to deliver the joke. Because it's so immersion breaking to me that I get anxiety sometimes, but the jokes so far transcend the uh, like how much I find that that detracts from the experience. That uh, it really is a testament to how great the show is. Like, not that I love every single episode I've seen, but uh, I've laughed pretty hard watching a good like smattering. Yeah, of I mean, I, I I grew up with nothing but shows that did that. So looking back, it is annoying with the laugh tracks, but I grew up. Every one of them had it. Um, and so Seinfeld to me was, it, it was phenomenal. And then, um, I, I got hooked into friends. And so I've seen each of those on rerun a, a billion times, Amazing, you know, certain episodes just quote nonstop, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I, I've seen every episode of friends a significant number of times. Like I've seen that entire series way too many times. I love I love it so much. Oh, you're not uh, alone. I think there's a lot of people, even from our generation, where like wasn't something yeah. that I, mean, I don't. You weren't really watching that when it was like actively on, were you, Anthony? The, by the end, I was. So like I had co- like I had ended up watching a bunch of like early seasons as DVDs that my cousin lent me. Okay. Um, and I did get to see I like the, maybe the final two or three seasons. Like actually, like actively watched it. Because I definitely watched a good portion of the final season. Because by that mm. time, I was probably like in middle school, I want to say. Sure. I forget what year. Did it end in like 2004 or something like that? Um, Friends so, ended in 04, yeah. Yeah. And so like my parents watched that too. Like I, I remember it being a huge deal when Seinfeld was ending. Like they sat down mm-hmm. and watched the finale. But I, I don't think, I mean, I might have caught part of it. But I, like I didn't have a, I didn't have a frame of reference for it. Um, I had seen a bit more of Friends by that time, and like I caught bits and pieces of that final season. And I remember watching the final, like whatever, because the finale was like a two or three part finale, right, or something like that. I um, believe two parts. For I remember Sin- for Seinfeld, no, for, for Friends, no, for Friends. I remember friends, there yeah. being a multi part. So, okay, so two parts. Um, so yeah, I remember watching. I remember the whole thing. You know, she's getting on the plane, and I got to get her off the plane, and all that, the flange, mm-hmm. and et cetera, so on. Um, 
But uh, you know, I still didn't have a ton of context, but I, I I caught bits of the last season or so. It's so it's so funny. Like I love that show so much, and I've always I've always loved Chandler. He's always been my like my favorite character. Though in rewatching and watching that show like over and over again, it's amazing to see Ross go from completely annoying to one of the funniest people on the show by the end of the series. Like he just completely transforms as a character, and he's hysterical. Like he's just like he's so beaten down by all of his experience. Like he's like been dealt a bad hand over and over again, but he's also kind of a turd it's just it's great he's just he's just wonderful <laughs> well i find him to be so so unlikable in the the the, the chunks of the show i've seen um yeah, now that doesn't beginning. that doesn't i actually haven't seen a ton of the first couple of seasons i would say the majority of what i've seen is probably the middle run of the show um but um like i would say the majority of the bit of show i've seen chandler and monica have already been dating so that's okay. kind of sort of the middle of the show, right? Yeah. It's yeah. the middle, yeah. Um, so like that's what I think of the show. I think of them dating. I think of like Ross and Rachel having date and already broken up. You know, like that's what I think of when I think of Friends because like mm-hmm. that's the most episodes I've seen. Um, but I will say as much as I can't stand Ross, he does get some of the best retorts, even though I can't mm-hmm. stand him. His delivery on some of his like snarky comments are hysterical. Yeah. It's yeah, just whenever like they focus on like him and him doing things, I'm just like, "Oh god, you're the worst." Yeah. When he when he um ultimately there's a there's a point in the show where he gets he's put on uh medication for his rage and I feel like it's at that point <laughs> on that his character just blossoms. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, I wasn't even aware of that part of it. And I know about the whole will they won't they thing where like he was going to propose to Rachel and then Joey accidentally proposes. Yeah, so like yeah. I know about all that shit and all the off and on stuff, but uh, you know, I don't. I just can't. There are some great lines. There's some great scenes. I just overall that show didn't connect with me in the same way that Seinfeld did. Sure. Um, but some of the funniest, like stupid little scenes or sequences I've seen, I have been from that show. Like, you know, the stupid thing with the couch trying to move it upstairs yep, sure. and him screaming "pivot." Yep. You know, like that cracks me up. Um, my favorite line in the whole thing is when Joey finds the. The uh, the porn in uh, in Rachel's room, and he asked her, "What time will the vicar be home?" <laughs> the vicar won't be home for hours. Joey, where did Joey, you learn where that, did you word? Learn that word? <laughs> yeah. That was one of the hardest I laughed. Actually, is is just that scene. Um, you got porn. <laughs> yeah. You read my book. You got porn. <laughs> My coffee's a little cold. Rachel, can you heat this up on your loins? Yeah! <laughs> That's such a great episode. Um, but uh, back to the... Uh, as far as, like, multicam live studio audiences or laugh tracks, like, it's funny. I, I know a lot of people that hate that, like, like actively, like, avoid shows that have it. It's uh, probably because I grew up with so much of it. I don't, it, it never bothered me, and I, it still doesn't. Like, I could, I could easily watch, like, rewatch old shows like that or pick up something that I hadn't seen from that time and really enjoy it. Um, but, uh, I don't know. There's just something, there's obviously the nostalgic draw to a show like that because of the time when, you know, I was actually watching those. But also, there's just, they're just charming. Like they're like there's something they're they're more wholesome television shows. There isn't really anything like that. Uh, I feel like anymore. Um, there's like there are shows that 
capture some of that essence. Like there has been a uh, Ted Lasso. Uh, That's it's, you're talking about Ted Lasso. Yes, but it's its own. It's its own thing. It's not quite the same. It's a merge of like a lot of good things from different formats. I feel like over the years, whereas like nothing really goes back and does that thing well. Um, so, but I, I could rewatch rewatch Friends at Seinfeld over and over again. I did. Like I said, I I wasn't an I didn't have an issue. I actually thought that I, I kind of liked the end of it. I thought it of Seinfeld. I I thought it was fitting for that show and those characters. And I don't know if like you've heard the theories of like the plane actually did go down and they're in purgatory. Like I kind of love that as a concept. Yeah, <laughs> because they're just so horrible. But um, there was a there was a time like God it must have been like seven years ago or something like that. But we went to the museum of moving image um, in Queens and there was an exhibit that they had. You go up these steps and it's this giant projector screen and on loop, it's like every single one of Kramer's entrances into a, into a room. <laughs> and it's just yeah, like him like bursting through the door over and over again, just in different scenarios. And it was just, it was just over and over again. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, so I love, one of my favorite things that's like, as far as like an ongoing like remembrance and appreciation of Seinfeld, there's, there's two things. One, I don't know if it's still active. I haven't seen it in forever, but uh, it, it cracks me up every once in a while when I come across it. But there was this Twitter account for the longest time called like modern day Seinfeld. And they would write what the plots of an episode of Seinfeld would be with like present day like yeah. issues and technology sure. and stuff like that. And some of those were pretty good. I would see those every once in a while. And the other thing is, there's a like the general format, but a very specific one, uh, and it's the one. It's Kramer was telling a story to Jerry and George, and Kramer's going on, and George and Jerry are like responding to like get the rest of the story, like like yeah, like we follow you, yeah. That that whole joke format, you know, and it's always something yep. very niche. And the 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 greatest one of it, I think, is the one with Dune. Someone did it with Dune, and it's like Kramer <laughs> describing. Being, I've seen yes, I have yes. seen that. And, uh, <laughs> I gotta see if I can find it because it cracks me up. It's so stupidly niche, but it, it nails the joke format of Seinfeld so well, as well as paying such a perfect respect to how a regular person would in like interact with someone from Dune. Like you know, <laughs> uh, that's great. Love it. Anyway, I'd be curious to see what they if they have. Oh, here it is. I found it. So it's it's nine pains, and um, so it's Kramer coming and he's talking and he goes. So a guy pulls out a knife, and says, "Where do you think you're going with all that water?" So I said, "Hey, buddy, Mudib is a killing word." Hiya! As he's like manic, he goes. So I hop on Shai Halud. Now I'm driving the worm, <laughs> and it's now it's Jerry and it's George talking to him. He goes. You're the Cuisat Tatarak. And he goes, Yeah, yeah, I'm the Cuisat Tatarak. And it goes back to Jerry and George. He goes, So you just took over the Imperium and then allowed the Fremen to wage jihad in your name against the entire known universe. And it's Kramer doing the ridiculous like thing where he shakes his hair and he's t- mm-hmm. saying something emphatically. And he goes, Well, the spice must flow. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear him doing it. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like the episode involving the bus mm-hmm. where. Kramer ended up having to drive the bus. I, I think you're right. I think that's it. Wait, you kept making the stops? Well, they kept ringing the bell. Yeah, yeah. 
I think you're right. I think that's what I know. I've seen the episode, but it's been so long that I couldn't remember what the original context is. But I've seen that meme a bunch of times, and I think the Dune one is the best version of that meme that I've seen. And thank you for reminding us that Dune's not coming out this year. You know, I'd already started the process, and you just you threw it right back at us. Well, perfect transition. Let's talk about the ratifying of the WGA <laughs> agreement, which, um, if it had happened slightly <laughs> earlier, maybe they wouldn't. Is amazing. Mike knows how this works. <laughs> Well-oiled machine here. WGA yeah. ratifies three-year deal with studios, officially ending Hollywood strike. The WGA began a strike on May 2nd, forcing many major productions to cease operations. Oh, fuck. I'm going to log in. That, oh, my God. It's, it's fighting me. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking asshole. While you're you call this segment Al tries to computer. I oh am being God. deterred at all points here. Okay. Um, WGA members voted in favor of a new contract with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, the AMPTP, that ended one of Hollywood's longest strikes. The union reached an almost unanimous decision of the three-year minimum basic agreement. Members of both the WGA West and WGA East cast their votes, with 99% of those who voted approving the now-sealed deal that will run from September 25th, 2023 to May 31st, 2026. Quote, Through solidarity and determination, we have ratified a contract with meaningful gains and protections for writers in every sector of our combined membership, said WGAW President Meredith Steen in a statement. Together, we were able to accomplish what many said was impossible only six months ago. We would not have been able to achieve this industry-changing contract without WGA Chief Negotiator Ellen Stutzman, Negotiating Committee Co-Chair Chris Kaiser and David A. Goodman, the entire WGA Negotiating Committee, Strike Captains, Lock Coordinators, and the staff that supported every part of the negotiations and strike. Now it's time for the AMPTP to put the rest of the town back to work by negotiating a fair contract with our SAG-AFTRA siblings, who have supported writers throughout our negotiations, said WGAE President Lisa Takuchi Cullen. Until the studios make a deal that addresses the needs of performers, WGA members will be on the picket lines walking side-by-side with SAG-AFTRA in solidarity. WGA and AMPTP reached a tentative agreement in September after more than five months of bitter and stalled negotiations. We have reached a tentative agreement on a new 2023 NBA, which is to say an agreement in principle on all deal points subject to drafting and final contract language. Uh, They wrote to their members uh, in a letter shared with Rolling Stone. What we have won in this contract, most particularly everything we have gained since May 2nd, is due to the willingness of this membership to exercise its power, to demonstrate its solidarity, to walk side by side, to endure the pain and uncertainty of the past 146 days. They called the deal exceptional and emphasized that it included gains and protections for its membership. It also called for patience as the deal was finalized. Um, This is more just about the mechanics of the vote. Uh, Included in the WGA demands were an increase in viewership-based residuals, an increase in the minimum compensation in all areas for media for writers, an increase in contributions, pension, health care plans, and minimum staffing levels, Um, as well as uh, contention around the use of AI, which is all stuff we discussed in, I think, the last episode, if not the one before that. Right. Um, And then uh, I think that's pretty much it on this subject. I believe that SAG-AFTRA is in the middle of negotiations with them. Hopefully within the next week or so, we'll see that uh, get sewed up as well. And uh, everyone will be back to work because technically the work is not really back to full steam right now. Right. And even once that one gets wrapped up, it'll still probably be a week or two until things start shooting in earnest again, as they get everyone back on schedule, the people who've been out of town, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know, all the 
the um, booking of sets and studios and all that stuff to have the physical space to do the work because, you know, with this being shut down for like six months now, um, there's a huge backlog that they have to figure out how they're going to prioritize what's shooting where because there's not going to be enough space and time to do all the things that need to be done that haven't been done in all that time. I want to know who voted against and why. Oh, there's always one or two people who are contrarian. And, and who knows? Maybe there's a couple of people who don't think they got enough or whatever. You know, I, I don't know. Sure. 99% though is pretty, uh, pretty strong. I don't know what the uh, yeah. minimum threshold for ratification was, but I'm guessing it was probably like two thirds or something like that. Right. So. Not almost yeah. all. <laughs> um, no, you, you guys did a good breakdown of uh, the issues with, I think it was your Dead Reckoning show. It was either that or your Avatar one where you went through all the things that were settling. Um, and uh, Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald on The Watch, Andy Greenwald, uh, one of the Ringer podcasts, he's a writer, and he talked about how if the deal didn't get done when it did, um, Hollywood kind of shuts down from Thanksgiving until like mid-January. Everybody goes on trips and vacations, and it'll be interesting to see if they decide we cannot do that right now. Like we've been out of commission so long. Sure. We've, we've got to power through. Well, whether yeah. it's formalized or some sort of handshake agreement, I do wonder whether they would all have had some sort of agreement to shorten that break to, instead of being like six weeks, you know, maybe two weeks or something like that. So they can try and make up for lost time because by the time they get everything started back up again, they have to shut it all back down for that long of a break when they haven't been working in six months. Um, it's kind of, um, would be a bit insane. And, and and to be fair, you've had six months of not working, uh, stressful, not enjoyable and all that, but do you really need to go now back on break for six weeks after all that time off? Like, wouldn't and, you want to strike, strike while the iron's hot? And sadly, the ones that can afford to do it are the mega rich because every average writer in Hollywood has probably been scraping by for the better part of six sure. months. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and you know, a lot of the, the top membership in SAG after MWGA was putting out Tremendous amounts of money. I mean, if you hear some of the stories about Drew Carey um, with what he was doing with um, – he had like an open tab at like a couple of different restaurants and diners for people. Anyone who was like a card carrier member could eat whatever they wanted, however much they wanted, as often as they wanted. And he was picking up the the tab at those couple of restaurants. Um, you know, yes. how many other, you know, big name actors and writers uh, were, were putting in massive, you know, seven figures into these funds that they had for – the people who couldn't afford, you know, they were donating literally millions of dollars to help, you know, scrape by for the bills for some of these, the the lower rung, you know, people in, in both camps. So um, they really were showing that solidarity. I mean, there was a couple of people who were breaking ranks, you know, some of the, the, the late show people, um, you know, Drew Barrymore and um, uh, what's his Bill name? Maher. Bill Maher, that's it. Uh, we're talking about. Uh, crossing the the line, and they didn't ultimately end up doing it, whether because they were sticking to their morals or because they were bullied into it. Either way, they didn't ultimately end up crossing the picket line. So, you know, yeah, that's the only way that this sort of thing gets done is you have to actually have the um, the courage and the fortitude to do it, right? So, yeah, pretty impressive to see that many people standing together and getting ultimately what they deserve. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that's cool. Uh, it can be done. Uh, sweet. I think that wraps it up for for the news and nuggets. We could probably move into some consumption. Uh, Al, you want to kick us off? Sure. Let's talk about uh, German things. 
Um, okay. Because we had the... Uh, I, too, the, consumed the German things. <laughs> I know. We, we had the uh, just about annual um, Oktoberfest celebration of the uh, D'Amico diaspora, let's call it. And um, <laughs> considering none of us is in any way, shape, or form German, um, it's uh, it's fun. You know, we had, uh, we had brats. We had all Especially sorts of- your hosts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, your parents did a great job in the new, new... Well, I guess they've been in that house for almost a year now, right? But, uh, yeah, almost. It's the first time that I've been there. Um, and uh, yeah, no, they had a, we had a great time. We had German beers. We had uh, German foods. Your, your dad, Sauerbraten, has gotten really good. He's done that for a few years now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love the German potato salad my mom makes because it doesn't have any mayo in it. And... Uh, yeah. Smoked some cigars. It was uh, the first two-cigar day I've had in a while. And uh, generally had a good time. Good weather. All that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was a nice day. Lots of food. Uh, far too many pretzels. It was a lot of pretzels. I overdid it. I overdid it. They, I actually they came had... in, they came, the highest amount you were able to get in a bundle was 25 And at 25 the price is like... Like the, the it kind of like ramps up the like ramps down the pricing like you know the more you buy the cheaper it is per pretzel, so it's like I'm not gonna get like a twenty five and a ten, I got two twenty fives <laughs> and it was too it was too many pretzels. <laughs> you know we we took some we took a lot of the German potato salad home we took some of the brats home I would have taken pretzels too but uh oh you should have yeah no they, it's they, fine. Were, they were funny I, I grabbed whatever um, I was handed and there was a bunch of foods and actually I had a little bit of that leftover brought and salad today so nice that was good. there were there were a number of interesting <laughs> beers to try um i did I'm i didn't one end right up having i, a, I, I might i might grab one i might grab one when we get back to the when we get into the uh to the flick this week um i had a uh what's that what's that uh evil twins uh is butter a carb which is their pretzel oktoberfest yeah me and carly tried it right before i left I enjoyed that one. It was good. It was solid. I was I was hoping for it to be a little bit pretzier, a little like a little bit. A little, yeah, could, could have had a little something extra in it. Had that. Uh, I did have the Pum Queen. Mm-hmm. That was interesting too. That was the pumpkin spiced vanilla cream ale from Bone Saw. Bone Saw is there. ready. Bone Saw is ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one. That one was pretty good. I. I I'd like to transition us though from this uh, from the Oktoberfest that was to the Oktoberfest that wasn't. Okay. Last week mm-hmm. on Saturday it was Michael Warren's bachelor party. Former roommate, Michael Warren, oh. co-host of the pumpkin beer tastings. Yes. Um, we had his bachelor party. He's getting married next week. Well, he's getting married in a few days, actually. When, probably, probably married by the time you hear this. Um, but <laughs> so we went out, we, we took him out for his, for his bachelor party, had a pretty, uh, one of his friends had found something pretty awesome. Sounded pretty great. It was an Oktoberfest cruise around New York. Oh, okay. Sounds great, right? It does. Ticket says for the VIP tickets, which we bought, of course, it was guaranteed seating on the upper deck. If you want it, it comes with one beer and one either bratwurst or pretzel. Okay. And then you can buy other stuff, but it comes with those. Great. Mm-hmm. Seems seems well worth it for the, um, I don't know, like the $10 more it is for the VIP pass. It seems it seemed worth it. So we got that. Um, we all get there. We're standing outside Pier, I want to say 36 in Manhattan. Um, 
waiting on one more person. Miscommunication. They were already down by the boat. We thought we were waiting for them to arrive. Anyway, we made it. We got there just in time to get on the boat. We got on the boat. Not a single decoration reminiscent of the ad from which we purchased the tickets. Um, then the guy gets on the loudspeaker and describes it as the fall foliage store. Oh. Um, I don't know if you know too much about the fall, but it's just started. <laughs> <Like the> season? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and thus there is no foliage to be seen. <laughs> uh, so we're on the boat and we're like, okay, well at the very least, this is weird, but we'll go get our drink and our bratwurst um or pretzel uh the beers that were available heineken corona some random ipa from some brewery that i had never heard of um your typical bud and something else maybe a stella and some and there there was no german beers so so dutch mexican belgian vaguely american not a single german yeah and i said well at the very least let me get this bratwurst Hot dog. Of course. Um, Although, well, who dog. can tell the difference between a knockwurst and a hot dog? Because I can't. Shh. Okay. I'll give you, I will give you that. But, it, <laughs> but uh, so we're, you know, we're, we're cruising. It's a three and a half hour cruise. Um, there, It's basically just a, a, a tourist sightseeing cruise at this point. There's no, there's nothing to see. <laughs> there's no, there's no decorations. There's no German music. There's no German fare. Um, no one's saying I'm pro. Fortunately, no one's saying that. Fortunately, we didn't tell Michael what we were doing, so he wasn't disappointed. Oh. He thought it was great. He's like, I'm on a boat with my friends. We are, you know, we were able to have, we had beers. Beer it, was great. Yeah, it, was, it was very nice, <laughs> but uh, it was not at all what we had signed up for. And uh, it dawned on me like, like 30 minutes in, I'm like, is it like, is it possible we're not on the right boat? Like, is it possible? There were no other boats, to be clear. So we were at the pier like, that we were supposed to be at, and there were no other boats. I was wondering, it's one of two things. It's either you guys got it on the wrong boat, which it sounds like that's probably not the case. Or sure. I wonder if they sold it as this Oktoberfest cruise, and only you guys bought the tickets, so they pivoted to a different theme. Very possible. Very possible. So afterwards, I was like, let me look this up. Like, is the date wrong? Like, is it a different date? Is there something? I find the website again. I look at it, read it. Looking at the photos, I was like, oh, no. These are all, yeah, these are all stock photos. These are not, these are not photos from the boat. These are, (laughs) this isn't, I'm not even certain this is New York. Nope. That's the Golden Gate Bridge. These are not photos from, from this. (laughs) So then I read through the description. I'm like, yeah, it it says, you know, all these things. I was like, okay, how are they going to get away with this? Under the comments section. There's a little itty bit of fine print that says beer, like food and beverages may not be like are reflected based on availability. <laughs> and I guess that was the I guess that's their their way out of it. Um, I'm just glad we didn't tell them that that's what we were doing ahead of time. We did tell I did tell them while we were on the boat. I was like, look, I just got to I got to get this out there. This is not <laughs> like I, I, I felt I felt bad. I was like, I mean, it's fun. Sure. And we were having a good time. But I was like, 
it was a way more thoughtful gift like that, <laughs> that your friend had come up with. And I feel like he deserves the credit for finding it, even if it was a ruse. <laughs> this would have been so great if he if he showed up in like Lederhosen. Like, oh, my God. To it be been... an actual German like cruise. And instead, yeah. it's just him dressed like that for no good so, reason. So, so the <laughs> only thing that's, that's, that I'm still like kind of c- c- like curious about is I'm I'm. I'm certain that when the guy was scanning the tickets, it wasn't working. And he just went, ah, and he gave us bracelets and we went on the boat. Okay. Okay. That's the only, so I'm like, maybe it was the wrong boat or maybe they rescheduled it. We didn't get the notice, but like I said, there's no other boat. So I can't imagine that that's actually what happened. I th- I think that, I think that they were selling it as an Oktoberfest cruise and you guys were the only ones to buy it and they needed to fill the boat. So they're like, what if we advertise this? As a yeah. full foliage cruise. And then they got additional ticket sales and said, well, as long as we have something approaching a bratwurst and right. beer of questionable origins, how mad could they be really? Yes. <laughs> anyway, it was the closest I've ever been to the Statue of Liberty. So that was fun. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a moving, it's a moving piece. Well, you're you on a boat, there? so. Yeah. Well, nice. <laughs> have you ever been? I've never been. I've never gone. I, no. All these years, I've never actually gone. No, I never have been, actually. I feel like they they definitely did one of those things Like when I was... You know, maybe they didn't do them those couple of years. That was definitely a thing that was like, oh, there's a field trip to like Ellis Island or like the Statue of Liberty. And <clears throat> um, so at the time that I moved back to the state of New York was the years 2000-2001. So I wonder if they stopped doing those in those times, and uh, you could probably guess why that might have been the case. Because, uh, you know, September 2001, not a great time to be in sure. New York City as a tourist. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, yeah, I never went to the Statue of Liberty, actually, surprisingly. I definitely, I've, I've definitely been to Ellis Island. I think it was on my sister's, like, school trip, though, and mm-hmm. we were there. And it's like, it was fine. At that age, did not appreciate it. I think um, my dad chaperoned my brother when he was... In like middle school or something like that, so it would have been yeah, you know, like 2006 or something like that. Yeah. Well, we turned this whole thing around because afterwards we went to Wolfgang's Steakhouse. Oh, nice! And it was out of this world, and it was really, it was just really wonderful. We sat down. There's eight of us. We sat down around the table, and the waiter came over and he's like, "Hey, we can do this however you want. Here are the menus." He's like, "But it looks like you're here to have a good time. You're all hanging out. Why don't you tell me what drinks you want?" And we take care of the food. <laughs> and they, we'll do it like they'll serve it family style. And, and so we were like, do that. We don't have to think about it. And it was great. It was so good. That All the food cool. came out. Multiple porterhouse steaks that they then divvied up between us and sides and appetizers. And it was just, ah, uh, everything was cooked to perfection. I had never been there before, but it was awesome. It was so good. I was really happy with that. That we did right. I've heard good things about that one. That's kind of the one thing I feel like I haven't quite done that I should do is one of those like really good steakhouses. You've never been to like a proper steakhouse? Well, other than um, Arthur's hour. No, and having our you've steak. never <laughs> been to a proper steakhouse. Arthur's no. is great. It's not a proper steakhouse. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> okay, um, all right. We're no, have no, to, like, I've, I've never... Mike, are you in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I say yeah. I've never been to. to 
to Roos Chris or Peter Luger's or any of those. I've never been to Wolfgang's. I've heard that one's great. Um, We were going to go to Nobu in Las Vegas, and then we found out dinner was going to be like well in excess of $1,000, and it was like, okay, that's a bit too steep. (laughs) Sure. I've done... I've done Ruth's Chris. I've done Wolfgang's. I've done Hell's Kitchen. I've mm. done The Palm. And I've done Peter Luger's. I I think it's overrated. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it is so worth it to just, ah, you would, you'd, uh, you would just be, you'd be in heaven. I'm you'd sure I would. Although, you to would be fair, <laughs> I basically did that, those couple of dinners in Florence, in and around Florence. So, like, at least I got something close to that sure. <laughs> sort of experience. Uh, but no, I would like to do that properly um, in the city at some point. Like, it's definitely one of those boxes I haven't checked. So, cool. Well, that, yeah. So, while I didn't consume Oktoberfest on the seas, I did consume that steak and it was a treat. So, well, so Mike, what else do we have for consumption? Awesome. Mike, what, what, are you, uh, what are you consuming these days? Food or otherwise? <laughs> uh, food, nothing that exciting. That sounds awesome. <laughs> um, I I guess I'm excited. Uh, I read tops a book a year, and okay. I think I'm way behind on that. But um, just showed up today from Amazon. Um, three th- this book, the Reign of the MCU, Reign of Marvel Studios. Um, oh, Joanna Robinson, Dave Gonzalez, and Gavin Edwards. They break down the Marvel Studio structure from. <sighs> I, I've, I've read like three chapters when I got home from work today, but everything from Kevin Feige being an intern for Richard Donner and Lauren Schuler Donner to Avi Arad uh, kind of farming out any Marvel properties to make money for the company to them, him eventually hiring Feige now as a much higher up. And I've just gotten to the part of the story where They've secured a loan from a bank for, I believe it's $500 million to, and they believe they're going to make four movies and they hope that one of them can hit. So this would have been at the time they were talking Iron Man, the Hulk, they were talking Ant-Man because I believe, um, Edgar Wright had a script ready to go. It just, in the end, they, they went another way. Uh, and it might have been Captain America was the fourth one, and they were hoping one of them would hit, and then from there be able to parlay it into other films. So that um, Edgar Wright script but, for Ant Man was was around for a lot longer than I realized, because that was ultimately what they were still going to do in Phase Two or Three, whenever it was that Ant Man finally happened. It was still yeah. going to be Edgar Wright, and I think he still technically has a writing credit in that movie. Because he they used something. parts of his script or whatever, but he didn't really make the movie. So that script lasted yeah. for like, was around for about 10 years prior to what I, I even realized. Yeah. And then there, you know, they talk about there was a real chance that if this failed, they were going to lose. You know how hard it's been with Spider Man being with the, accessing the property. Yeah. If this failed, I believe like 10 properties would have been out. And very difficult to secure back if this failed. Um, But they interviewed hundreds of people involved with the whole process. So I really can't wait. Uh, And Joanna Robinson, the main author of this, she's on at least two podcasts I listen to. And she's great to listen to. So I'm looking forward to getting the story behind this. I mean, I know you how big Marvel fans you guys are. Um, 
and I'm a, you know, I'm someone that didn't really care about Marvel superheroes until I saw the first Iron Man and was blown out of the water. Um, but I'm really looking forward to reading this. Yeah, I, uh, awesome. I saw something about that book like two or three weeks ago. I don't remember where it was or who was talking about it online, but I was reading a little bit about the book a couple of weeks ago. I forgot about it until you just showed it. So that, that's pretty cool. I, I'd it, like just, to- it just showed up today. Like it was released today. Okay. I just um, dropped an audible credit on it during this conversation. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember who it was specifically who was talking about it that I was reading a little because I, I saw someone on Twitter and I was reading about it through there, like just a conversation around the book. And um, yeah, no, that's funny. I had forgotten about it. I because it's funny. I you know I would have assumed it was Anthony if anyone who brought that book up is is part of this conversation. Um, but. Uh, no, it's really well, cool. I well, you'd like have to, to give it a few it. years for me because Mike said he reads about a book a year. I'm I'm about half a book. Yeah. A year. Yeah, that's true. I don't know what dude, I am still reading that book that Uncle John gave me and it it's great. It's really good. He literally just, gave that to you like 2 years ago. I know. I've got I've got the <laughs> other two in my car. Okay. Uh, which I'll hand off to you because I've transferred onto my uh, my Kindle at this point because the only time that I find that I can read is at night and uh, maybe that's my problem, but I only get about two or three pages in before I like promptly fall asleep. <laughs> well, I was... dropped I dropped it on my face the other night. Nice. I've done that <laughs> countless times. Um, it's a miracle that my nose has never been broken by a hardcover book falling on it. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, <laughs> that was kind of sort of how reading for a while had really taken off for me because I, so I, I guess kind of quote unquote started reading early. Like I early on, like, and it's a weird, stupid, like not quite humble brag, but like, yeah, when I was like kindergarten, first no, you, grade, you, you've grade, al- yeah, I was going to say, you've always been a big reader. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, like was able to read like bigger, longer books than like other people, my peers at the same time, like early on, like later on, I'm sure there's plenty of other people who read as much as me or whatever, but I read a, a ton throughout my childhood and, and it was actually part of why I kept up with it so much was up until I went to college my whole life, I had a really hard time with going to sleep. Hmm. Like I've never had a problem sleeping. Once I'm asleep, I usually have a really good night's sleep, but most of my life, well, actually at this point, it's now almost half and half, but for the majority of my life, I couldn't, dark realization yeah well because yeah i mean when i was like 18 i'll be 33 in like uh, six weeks or whatever so um but uh (laughs) through my 19th birthday i guess uh my first 18 years i had a really hard time going to sleep and for a lot of that time i would read to go to sleep just hoping that the kind of laying down and being relaxed, you know, sure. and, and reading and just like kind of like that, like it's like a very quiet practice, right. Would help me fall asleep. And I would say probably it was successful 70% of the time. There'd be other times where you were, what you were reading was so good that it would keep you awake. But the majority of the time, whether it be reading a page or reading 15 pages, and sometimes it would be 15 or 20 pages, it would help just, you know, bring everything down as your body relaxes and you're not just sitting there with your thoughts of why aren't I asleep? I wish I was sure. asleep. Why can't I be asleep? I want to go to sleep. Go to sleep now. Go to sleep now. Go to sleep now. <laughs> so like it can be a, a soothing thing that helps you go to sleep. And so whether that's your intention or not, it's it's certainly well, working for you in a big way. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I don't, uh, I, 
I actually, I'm, I'm at, in a stage of life where if I'm not tired at the end of the day, I'm actually pretty excited to do something like yeah. play a game or read the book. But then like for whatever, like two, three pages in, I, again, I start, I start nodding off. It's like Pavlovian at this point, but like, I don't know. I'm really curious. Like I've, I've, there's never really been a scenario within the past couple of years where I've like read during the day. I'd be curious how my body would respond to it. I feel like I would just fall asleep in the middle of the day. You might, but that sort and, of thing can happen. Yeah. Or you'll get the, you'll start to get drowsy and then you'll realize it and like snap yourself and you get that jolt of adrenaline. Cause I've had that happen to me too, where like, stuff yeah. like sometimes it's reading, you know, where, cause like for a lot, a lot of time in my life, it was associated for me as, oh, I'm reading, which means after this comes sleep, you know? <laughs> so sometimes in the middle of the day, you know, if I had the time I was reading, I will get tired. It does not always, but it does sure. happen to me sometimes when I, when I choose to do that. If I'm like, sitting around on a Saturday or Sunday, nothing going on. And I'm like, yeah, hey, you know what? Let me crack, crack open a book. Sometimes I will get super tired, even though I'm like not actually tired because yeah. it's a, it's a weird muscle memory thing that I have from 15 years ago. Or I'd like longer. to break that habit so that I could finish this goddamn book. Sure. <laughs> well, for, for a while you were doing your walks and you were listening. Um, well, I, yeah, I, I do. I like listening to audible on a walk, but I did. I have found that I don't, I don't enjoy listening to uh, fiction. Okay. I don't know why. It's like I kind of just zone out and start thinking about other things. I, if I listen to like any, any, honestly, anything nonfiction, like I'll listen, like this MCU thing sounds like a great walking book. Like I will be super into it. I will have walked like two miles and I'll be like jacked up about the amount of money they're spending on things. Like that's, like that's where <laughs> I'm going to be at. I'm not even going to know where I am. I'm somewhere in the middle of the park. Like I don't know. What... <laughs> Yeah, and I thought about it with you guys having serenaded your audience with your Avengers theme. <laughs> uh, was that for Endgame that you guys did that? It was either Infinity War or Endgame. Yeah, it was one of those two. Yeah, we did for both. A, yeah, I think we played it at both of them. That was quite well done. That was, uh, it was really good. Uh, thank you. It took us <laughs> a very long right time. right here on the editing table. <laughs> we, we were recording that at like two in the morning after having seen the movie. <laughs> In Anthony's yeah. basement in his office. You know, it took was, us probably a good hour, hour and a half to record like forty-five seconds of theme song. Yeah. I mean I was <laughs> I was wide awake in the middle of the night after that movie, but if you had put this book in front of me, you probably would have got a paragraph in and <laughs> Well it's funny because yeah. like I, I have the same thing now, I don't have a kid, but like I you know, you I you know, you, you get up, you work hard at work all day, you have a million things that you're doing you know, personally, professionally, all that fun stuff, right? So it's gotten to the point now where when I sit, I I just go so much at work that like when I sit down after dinner, sometimes I just like, it's like a fucking wall, you know? Sure. So I've gotten that in recent like year or two. And so a lot of times if I sit down to watch the Monday night football game or the Thursday night football game, like right before halftime, I'm like about to pass out. It's nine thirty. Like I, if I'm doing anything else, I don't fall asleep. And I love football, so like even if it's a really good game, it'll happen. So even yesterday, I was off yesterday. I slept in because I was up a little later probably than I would have expected Sunday after getting back. You know, I dozed a bit in the car while we were driving back from Oktoberfest. Watched the Sunday night game, whatever. Like woke up probably like eight thirty ish. Got, didn't get up and moving till after nine or whatever, you know, was very like easy day. Now I did have a little workout in the afternoon and then I had dinner, sat down to watch the game. I was like, man, 
I had a good night's sleep. I slept in pretty late. 9.30. Fucking wall. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I gotta get up and like have something to snack on because I'm falling asleep watching the freaking football game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... Okay, so that book that that sounds just interesting. I'm excited too. I really I was like trying to remember where did where did where did, what was the jumping off point for this? But that that MCU, MCU. book does sound mm. super interesting to me. I'm uh, I'm super curious about that. Speaking of Disney, um, I am I've got one episode left of Ahsoka. Sam, and I I'm really enjoying the ride. Um, I've conversed with Al briefly over, over the weekend about this. I feel like Ahsoka is a bit of a misnomer for the show. It feels like it's just a tack on to Rebels, which is fine by me. I really like Rebels. Um, also, shout out to the casting for Ezra. I think he's great. <laughs> like, I think he's really, like, he really, like, really good. Like, really fits the part, like, so well. Mannerisms, yeah, also, like, vocal delivery, it's all there. <laughs> co- convincingly seems like what, what Ezra would have looked like if he was an adult. Right, like you know, he's like mm-hmm. he's well cast in that regard. He's got some of the the right, you know. This is more writing than the acting part of it, but like the character is is doing a pretty good job of what would a hermit like? What would Yoda be like if Yoda had gone off into isolation as a teenager and came yeah. out as a young adult man, not gone off into isolation as an eight hundred year old, and is now an eight hundred fifty year old who's going insane. Like, you know, the the young version of that, um, I think that's pretty fitting, especially when you consider where this character is at. Um, you know, he is one of these deep force connected um, Jedi. I forget, but they, they, they kind of name all the different types of Jedi, whatever. But, like, you know, the strategic Jedi, the ones concerned with the living force, right? He rejects the lightsaber. You know, the force is my yeah. ally. He's very much yeah. in the same you know, category is the Lukes, the Quagons, the Yodas, not the Obi-Wans and Anakins who are just yeah, here but, to fuck shit up. Between his force foo and uh, Ahsoka's like samurai stance and stuff, like it just, it's just been really fun to watch. Like all of like it, the choreography in the show has probably been some of the best choreography in Star Wars. Yeah. Or at least in this generation for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's just been, I, I so I also have like a really fun with it. I've been watching it on. So I've been, I have an exercise bike in here, and I've got my uh my that LG OLED that used to be in the old basement in mm-hmm. this in my office. So the last two episodes that I watched, I watched on the bike, and I do look kind of like a like a hit pattern with like my biking workout. And the show is perfect for that because once things start to ramp up, like in combat, I'm just like, well, let's just turn the tension up and get up, and it's just, <laughs> and just stay until the battle's over. And it's really great; it's very exciting. <laughs> you feel like you're in. <laughs> that has to be wild. <laughs> yeah, working out with the uh, with a fight scene in the background like that, you know. <laughs> Have you found yourself trying to like mirror any of the moves? Like, you know, I thought I the did. There was I, there was a point where I thought I was going to tip it. I thought I was going to tip it. <laughs> But, get up the hill, guys! Get up the yeah. hill! I'll help you. <laughs> but it's been—it's—I've been—I've really been enjoying it. Um, it has definitely uh, accentuating my longing for a Star Wars movie, though. Yeah, which I mean, we're working our way there. I mean, obviously, yep. the strike didn't help um, with like the timeline on that, but we know earlier this year they announced four movies. I think that considering they seem to have something of an actual plan to these movies, not just hey, we want someone to make movies. That mm-hmm. these movies will actually get made. It'll you know, be a question is it of, four or is it three? 
Um, I thought it was three. I was under the impression it was four, but I could be wrong. I know there's the Filoni one that's going to be the kind of Avengers style movie of tying together all these shows. There's, yes. and I'm forgetting who all of the writers and directors who were hired for all of them, but there's the old Republic or the Dawn of the Jedi one rather, I guess. So that's Mangold. That's James Mangold. That's right. Okay. Um, I almost said Nick Mangold, but that was the jet center. Not a, uh, you know what? You give him a shot. <laughs> Actually, you know, I think his for a long time his Twitter, I think his Twitter um, profile picture was um, Wicket, but with Nick Mangold's hair over it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that might have been it. Actually, Um, there's the one that's the High Republic. They were doing a movie for the High Republic, weren't they? I so that that's the one I. I haven't heard anything official. The uh, the third one I heard about was Ray, say fifteen this, years after the rise of Skywalker. Oh, is it supposed to be that long? I don't remember what the timeline was, but I know that yeah, it's the, the Ray post episode nine one. There's probably a good way to yeah, look this up, unless Anthony was doing that while we were talking. I was trying with, and I realized the internet it's successful, so I stopped. Oh God. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna look it up now. I'm sure that if I stick to just like Star Wars dot com um hey look star wars.com <laughs> uh sorry yeah you're you're right mike three star wars movies. i don't know why i thought it was four um well no i mean we've heard a million rumors and sadly with what's happened the past decade if we think all three of these movies are going to get made i think we're fooling ourselves with well actually the- I, I think there's a good chance this time because specifically they've named the people and they've named what specifically they're about whereas with the other ones they named who was making the movies. Never did we get even slightly what the topic was going to be on that. Mm. Well, uh, I feel like I remember the Josh Trank Boba Fett, or I remember the rumors of Guillermo del Toro's Jabba the Hutt thing. Like these were, Kenobi was going to be a movie, you know, it ended up becoming a series. Well, sort of the Boba Fett thing though, as well, the, the, you know, in both those cases, the, the directors or writers or whatever were ultimately fired, but they still end up, working with the idea. Yeah, they became shows instead of movies, but still they did a project, you know, around it. But uh, yeah, so you have James Mangold's movie, we'll go back to the Dawn of the Jedi, while Dave Filoni's will focus on the New Republic and close out the interconnected stories told on the Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka, and other Disney Plus series. Charmin Obeyed Chinoy's movie will be set after the events of Rise of Skywalker and feature Daisy Ridley as Rey as she builds a new Jedi Order. This is uh, from the Star Wars Celebration announcement. Uh, earlier this year. Oh, uh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I know we talked about it on the show at the time. I just couldn't remember the details. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like because it, 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 it was always so like, it's just like shifting as we learn new things that I, I barely retain any of the information at this point until I get a release date of something like, an I'm hopeful. I, I mean, I would put like 99.9% that the Filoni movie is going to happen. Right. Sure. That I, I mean, and even even if it wasn't a movie, like it'll be a show, like it'll be a miniseries. But like, that's, yeah, what I is that project is going to happen? Don't be though. Be that's where all our money is. Um, <laughs> and, and I suspect the mangled one will happen as well. For um, and again, you know, movie show, whatever. Well, um, they also had a good experience working with him for Indiana Jones. They had a positive experience with that production. Yeah, which plays in their favor. Yeah, I mean he's he's done a, a lot good in the last ten years making movies. Um, you know he 
made an Oscar-nominated movie. He made uh, sorry, two Oscar-nominated movies, one of which was a Marvel-adjacent movie <laughs> with uh, Logan. He made uh, he he made Ford vs Ferrari as well, right? Which was Oscar-nominated. Ferrari. He did, yes. and he made Ford one of my favorite westerns, uh, Three Ten to Yuma, the remake of that. Well, that was a while ago, though, right? Well, that's. It was. It, it might be 15 years ago now. It may, it may have been fun. a while ago, but it is new to me because I watched it with my dad like a couple months ago. Oh, that's great. Right. <laughs> it was super great. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, obviously doing indie, you know, whether that movie was great or not, it was certainly a movie and it was a Disney movie and he managed uh, he managed the production. Whether the movie was good or not, he managed the production like a responsible adult director that... Uh, is making a movie for a major studio. And that's we've heard is what some of the issues have been in the Disney uh, time period of, of star Wars is that some of the people that they hired who, some of whom we were really excited for from their creative vision were maybe not equipped to handle making a movie of that size and scope for a studio mm. of that size and scope, you know? So um, it's unfortunate, yeah. but you know, I, as much as I really would have liked to see a Han Solo movie made by Lord and Miller, uh, I wasn't on the set. I wasn't in the meetings. I don't know what was going on there. And I, I will give them that much leeway as much as I'm frustrated by what Disney did. It, it, maybe they were not acting in a way, you know, or maybe the, the production was not progressing in a way that was conducive to a studio's massive budget and timelines of a movie like the, there there is some consideration to that that needs to be given and, it, and there's no way for us to know exactly right exactly you know i mean again you sometimes can have the right people in the wrong situation mm-hmm. uh they were instrumental in the first spider-verse movie correct uh yeah well they they wrote it and directed it i forget but um, I, I know they wrote it and i thought that movie was incredible yeah, but yeah. it's also an animated movie, which is not the same as a it, you're right, massive not, budget live action movie. You're right, but I I loved it. I, I thought that first. And honestly, my favorite so movie good. of 2023 is the second Spider Verse movie. I thought. I know. I still haven't got to see it. I'm so excited to watch that. I yeah, it's, I'm looking forward to that one. But you know really what? Else. I mean, if, if you want to look at you know actions speak louder than words, when they fired them, right, wrong, or indifferent. Who did they hire to replace them? They hired the most professional director. They hired they Ron did. Howard. Like, who is going to play ball with a major studio more than Ron Howard? Like, he is going to, whether the movie is going to be good, bad, or indifferent, who is going to come in and be a more professional director than him? Like, there's a very short list of people. So, mm-hmm. um, like, there is, there's something there. Uh, I will give them that. There is something there. So, hopefully, these yeah. people, you know, I mangled has it. And Filoni, in another way, you know, has never directed a big budget live action movie before. He is totally unequipped in that standpoint, but he has been in house and working with them for 15 years or whatever it is, 17 years, something like that. Um, they have relationships. He has Favreau to lean on, who is a very successful director in his own right. Mm. Who's directed a bunch of movies very successfully for Disney. Like, they can make that work even though he's never done that exact thing before. Like that is a, a manageable situation for them. What I hope we get is for the film and maybe even for the shows going forward. I think the best we've seen on, on Disney star Wars has been the two of them working together on projects. Yeah. 
In other words, Boba Fett did not have Dave Filoni involved, and I thought that was a, an absolute train wreck. Um, Mandalorian Season 3 did not have Filoni because he was working on Ahsoka, and that was subpar compared to Seasons 1 and 2 of Mandalorian, in my opinion. I think if you put the two of them together, they really have some good chemistry with the way they write, and I think there were good checks and balances with each other. Well, they're the perfect complement to each other, right? You have Filoni's the encyclopedia and the creative vision. And you have Favreau who is, has the, the, the love and adoration of a fan in addition to having the professional, the skill set, skill set of making a movie or or a show. And he's worked big time movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, if it going back to the MCU, if that first Iron Man fails, do they not make a sequel to Iron Man or do they recast, you know, or does the whole thing crumble? We'll never know. Thankfully, you know, I mean, he he took a, a big risk, and man, did it pay off! Yeah, you know, you know, what's uh, uh, are you? Did you watch all of Ahsoka, Mike? I did. I all did. Right, cool. So, well, well, we we still have like like we mentioned, Alan. I still have one episode left, but one thing that like blew my like blew my mind while I was watching it was I um definitely you could definitely see like Filoni coming through in it. Right. And like how, like really like well done. It's just like, no, like we're, we're just going to, we're just going to do it. Like, this is what star Wars is. We're going to do it. And because I love this, I'm going to do it. And it's going to well, work. In, in particular, like, she's, thinking about she's it. his first real creation when he was sure. hired to be yes. Lucas's protege and Lucas said, we're doing this show. He said, I want Anakin Skywalker to have an apprentice. Go make it happen. And yeah. so Dave created the Ahsoka character and George said, this is yours now. Go do it. But so that's, that's, that's only one aspect of it though, right? Like that's the character that like, you know, the, the title character of the show, but there's something really fascinating about this show to me. And that is that, so my, the whole um, like death thing and the witches and their powers and how that works is actually fairly foreign to me. Right. I know it from, the games that yeah, we you know playing, you know it from Fallen Order more than and than and like an Fallen occasional Wars. like random episode of one of the animated shows that I had seen right but I'm not as engaged with the animated materials of Star Wars as a lot of other fans are and I would also be curious for anybody that is that hasn't engaged with it at all or hasn't engaged with the video games would come in and for some reason it's just executed so well in this show that it's just working. Like, it's not raising a lot of questions. It seems like it fits. Like, there's a lot of mystery to going also to a different galaxy. And I think that that helps. And, like, just to suspend your disbelief a little bit. And that actually, I think, might be the secret sauce for somebody that's not engaged with all of these other materials to be able to know what this is all about. To be like, okay, it's something different. (laughs) <laughs> right and it, and it but it, and it just works and i feel like that's a lot of really i feel like a lot of thought went into that and like how do we do this where like we can just keep going but not have to backfill a lot of explanation and people will just get on board and they kept everything else interesting and i think that's how the, but it's just, it was really impressive to me well even if you did have out. a question about how dathomir night magic works you have balin helpfully say witches am i right <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, if he's not too concerned, then I don't have to be too concerned either. Sometimes right. you can uh, just say, witches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's but interesting because I- some, some podcasts I listened to, they said, I refuse to watch 
over 100 episodes of Clone Wars and then another 70-whatever of Rebels. I don't think it's fair for me to have to do all that. But then other podcasts saying, I I didn't watch any of it, and yet I know enough of what's going on. You know, I, so it's it's been interesting hearing that. You know, my brother, he's never watched an animated second of Star Wars. So, which is surprising because he has two young daughters, and why hasn't he just sat down to watch it with them? Uh, they, I think they saw the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, but I don't, I don't know if they would. And they don't, they like Star Wars. I don't know if they would sit through the animated stuff. See, I would have thought if anything. And, and, yeah, especially even in, in the past couple of years, before now, like Ahsoka is a young teenage girl character. Like I thought that maybe the Clone Wars might be something that the girls would like, you know? I, it I, is, but my brother, I think, is unaware of that. <laughs> you know, I think, if he had, I think if he watched Clone Wars before he became a dad, then he could say, girls, this is a, I think you're going to like this character. Although I lied to you because he did come to the movie theater to watch that animated movie where they introduced Ahsoka. <laughs> that was like the first three episodes of the show or whatever. Yeah, and he let's just say he didn't leave the theater pumping his fist. You know, yeah, because like, those those <laughs> honestly those three episodes are bad. Um, and I will yes, say, me and me and Dominic get into um, debates over this. Some, in my opinion, I think Rebels is the the better of the shows because I think that. The Clone Wars was a proving ground for Filoni as he was figuring out what a Star Wars show, specifically an animated Star Wars show for kids that also should be able to appeal to hardcore fans, looks like. And so there are spectacular runs of Clone Wars. There are, like, like as the show goes on, like they keep doing this three-episode arc thing, which was what the first movie was, the first three episodes of the show. Sometimes there was two episodes, sometimes there was four episodes, but most of them was three-episode arcs. And there are some incredible ones, specifically some of the ones where like the clones are the main characters and there are maybe even isn't a Jedi or a Jedi whose name you've heard, but you've never actually seen on screen before is like an associate to the story. But like the stories involving Cody and Rex and Fives and and uh, and all those guys, like those were some of the best arcs in the whole show. And some of those are incredible. Or like the 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 the, the mall storyline on Mandalore, fantastic episodes of television. But then you also get the Mace Windu Jar Jar Binks episodes that make me want to tear my own eyeballs out. Um, and so like it's, I find that like the highest highs are in the Clone Wars, but the lowest lows, dear God, I almost turned it off at some points. Mm. I just was like, you know what, I'm in it already. I'm just gonna watch it. I don't have to like it. I may walk away and just half listen to it, but like I gotta watch all of this. Rebels, I thought, was a much more cohesive and coherent story from start to finish. And I thought that the quality of the production is reflective of the things he learned while making the Clone Wars. And also, it's a tighter group. The Clone Wars, at some point or other, has probably 400 named characters that get like multiple lines in episodes of the shows. Whereas like with Rebels, you're talking about the ghost crew, which is like six people. And then like the other associate characters who have arcs or are like villains or whatever like there's a handful of major villains that either are through the whole run of the show or half seasons or single season arcs or whatever it's a more manageable ensemble show <laughs> which also helps with all of that but uh, i i i would be surprised if, if the girls like star wars i would think they would like the shows and i would think your brother would just be like yeah i'll just sit down and watch the shows with you guys once in a while 
Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm surprised that he hasn't thought to do that. Even if he hadn't watched them, I'm just like, hey, let's just watch some Star Wars. And then if they didn't like it, then they don't like it. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, my brother has kind of bucked the trend. You're, uh, you're, you're Aunt Mary. And can you guys still hear me? Yeah, no, we yeah. hear you. All right, because I think one of my AirPods just died, so I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, but uh, we were raised pretty strict on what we could watch as far as movies. Mm. And my brother, with two little girls, kind of took the opposite approach. Yeah, so they've, <laughs> they've seen all the Mission Impossibles. They've seen all the James <laughs> Bonds. And those movies are not R-rated, but maybe they're not meant for an 8-year-old or a 7-year-old. And he doesn't care. You know? Although I, I will say the Mission Impossible <laughs> movies, uh, probably more so than other big budget action movies, would be safe-ish for kids because it's not a lot of blood and gore. Gore, there's almost no right. sex, like you know. So uh, that's actually pretty safe. James Bond, you might uh, young girls might learn bad lessons from James Bond. Yeah, no, they, there's there's been some conversations. You know, Daddy, what happened to this girl? Oh, she's one guy, honey. You know, it's a lot of those. D- Daddy, why is that character named Pussy Galore? <laughs> Uh, I hope to God that one didn't happen. Well, otherwise, maybe he parlayed that to his wife. Honey, uh, you want this one? You know? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but no, you. everything you said about Clone Wars and Rebels, I agree. The highest highs are in Clone Wars. The lowest lows are in Clone Wars. Um, I still don't know which one I liked better. Uh, but the best moments, I think, were in Clone Wars. Although Twilight of the Apprentice... In Rebels was an outstanding episode. Oh, yeah. that was uh, Ahsoka, Kanan, Ezra, uh, Maul, Vader. It, yeah, it didn't get any better. Yeah, that's probably the the best single episode. The probably the best storyline. Uh, the stakes being so high and how they deliver uh, in a way that feels very satisfying and yet still ultimately gets undone in its own way later on in the show um, is pretty incredible. That they can manage all of that in, in and not feel like it, any sort of betrayal once it all happens later on. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Every, I mean, everything that you're both saying, like it tracks with my experience with those two shows, like rebels I've watched, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it took me a while to get through it, but it was just a lot of content for me to actually chew through. Um, yeah. what I was doing clone wars. I've tried multiple times to sit down and watch and I, I just never got into it. I feel your pain. I think I took yeah. two years off when among the Jar Jar or Mace Windu. I was, <laughs> what am I watching? Ah, it dude, hard. it was painful. Painful, those episodes. Um, but, like, on the other hand, and I don't remember what the names, I always, with those, I, I don't remember any of the titles of the episodes, but one of my favorite storylines of the Clone Wars show was um, the ones on, um, oh, I forgot the name of the planet, but the planet is like, it's like perpetually like nighttime out looking, and it's, um, it's it's very like it's like an exotic tropical like and almost looks like LED lights in the the plants kind of like Avatar and um, is that the was, planet they show in Revenge of the Sith with the female Jedi getting executed? It might be I forget that was in um, Felucia or something. Yeah, I don't know if it was the same planet or not, but it is a similar vibe to it. If it's not the same planet, and the the storyline sur- surrounded um, a group of clones with um, the the Jedi Pong Krell. He was he had four arms and he wielded two double sided lightsabers at the same time, which was incredible to watch on the cool. animated show. And uh, that storyline was incredible. I thought that was like fantastic. Whatever it was three episode arc. Well, it's these clones who are used to working with a certain type of Jedi who meet one who they don't like and he doesn't like them. And 
butting heads and figuring out whose strategy and approach and philosophy was right and wrong. And there's a plot twist that you wouldn't expect from a, a show aimed at seven year old star Wars fans. And, um, I thought that was one of the best runs in the whole show. Um, and I know like the, <laughs> the mall Mandalore storylines, all of the mall Savage press stories were great. A lot of the Asajj Ventress stories were great. Um, so many of the, you know, the, the, the clone episodes were great as well. Um, I, you know, and the Anakin, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka stories, a lot of them were great too. The one with the Twi'leks on uh, Ryloth, a lot of those stories were cool. The ones with um, a young Saw Gerrera on, I forget what planet that was, but um, the, you know, those were good. Some of the, you know, getting to see some of Plo oh, Koon, like what he's all about. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 yeah, man. Cool. I'll, uh, I'll just now. Now I just want to. When we're signing off from this show, want to engage with some sort of Star Wars material. I would um, say, Anthony, for you, I mean, it's less um, urgent now that you've watched all of Ahsoka. But if you look up online, there's a lot of people who put together associations of like, what are the like, the core Clone War episodes I need to Disney see? Disney did it. D- Disney had it on Disney Plus. There's like, oh, did they actually put yeah. it on the platform? I I know that there was articles out. Before I don't know if it's still there, but I definitely uh, it was it was before the first episode of of Ahsoka had really. Actually, I think it was maybe more around when they put a release date out yeah. that they had it up there. Um, I don't know. I'm sure they still have it. I don't know why they would take it down. I mean, even I I could probably dig up an article for you of like yeah. forget about just like Ahsoka centric episodes, but like the ones that were like the core or like the quote unquote best episodes, like or arcs. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll do that. Even if you watch 55 or 60% of the show and watch all the good shit and missed all the bad shit, like yeah, I would do time. that. I would, yeah. I would definitely get down with that because I, there's definitely some stuff like I've seen like the occasional episode or clips from one where I'm like, man, this looks really good. I don't know how far I have to get into this to actually get to this point though. Yeah. And, uh, it's been a little bit of a deterrent, but I'm okay with it. I loved as long as it took me to get through it. I really enjoyed Rebels. Um, they, I, if if uh, if there is a if one of your storylines gets a tear to roll at some point, you did it. And <laughs> they did it. <laughs> yeah. But um, still waiting to see. Uh, I haven't seen the eighth episode, so I'm still holding out hope. Uh, uh, but I'm still waiting for the first live action um, introduction of Cal Kestis. I feel like, he, I feel like he's got to be coming at some point, right? Like he's, but I don't think we'll see it until the game series the movie? concludes. Oh, I was curious if um, the game, the next game is going to be, I'm sure a ways out. I was the curious. The turnaround on this one was very fast. Cause what the fallen order came out in 2018 or 2019. And then for this one to come out in 2023, I guess you're right. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I know it was delayed, whatever, a couple of months. But God, how do they do this, though? How did they do it? It's so good. Well, that was the question I was asking when it actually came out. was like, man, like, we see how many of these games take, oh, like, man. a 10-year gestation cycle. And, like, it comes out super buggy and whatever. And there was a couple of bugs with Survivor. I know, like, some people had some issues. But, like, mostly it was fine um, with, with respect to, like, the technical aspects of it. Um, but they turned that game around really fucking fast. Um, yeah. And it was much bigger in scope than the first one was. So, you know, obviously not uh, having online components helps, but it's it's been a while since we touched on our progress of that game. But I, I last time I touched it, I had officially one hundred percent of Jetta, 
I had explored all of the locations, but I was still one scroll shy. And I was like, how can this be? How can this planet be 100% complete? And I don't have all of the scrolls. Turns out that the last one that I was missing, you get by playing that tabletop game and you win it. <laughs> so now I have it. <laughs> okay. I told you you were enjoy. I've 100%ed one of the planets. <laughs> I told you you were going to enjoy that uh, that tabletop game because I know so you like those little mini games and, and that one's fun. It's, it's super entertaining. Although I started to like use like the same tactics like each time. I was like, well, I find I find that I could spend like about about fifteen points and win like pretty consistently uh, with deploying the same strategy. So that's been what I've been doing. And, and then I've, you get steamrolled by one of your own idiot guys throwing a grenade only at your own guys and not at one of theirs. The worst. The worst. <laughs> Uh, um, it's fun, but uh, it's fun. yeah. Moving on from Star Wars stuff, uh, yeah. I, to, I told you a little bit about this the other day, uh, Mike. I, obviously, you were not present when we were having this conversation, but uh, hopefully, you can hear me because you're playing with your earphones right now. <laughs> I'm gonna say no. I mean, <laughs> okay, there's a thumbs up. Okay, uh, <laughs> yes. So uh, for the oh, first no. time, a couple weeks, a week and a half ago, whatever it was, now um, I watched The Exorcist, and we're in October. It's horror movie time we were talking sure. a little bit about with gary last week he's a big horror movie fan and uh, i'm not a huge horror movie fan but uh, it was just on tv when i got home from it was like friday night i come came home from work um all of us were together dominic gianna dominic's girlfriend were all there we were having dinner together and uh poltergeist was on in the background which i have seen like one and a half times and uh good extremely 80s horror movie um but uh the Exorcist came on after that, and I've never seen it before. And the first third of the movie, not super essential watching, honestly. There's not a lot going on. It's just a lot of exposition, um, which is fine, um, because I su- suppose it's setting the table. But it was great because I wasn't really paying attention. It didn't seem like I missed anything by the time that she seems to be well and truly possessed. And from then on, I watched it a little bit more attentively. And I would say the effects didn't age super well. Um, and it's not type of scary it would have been for me if I was watching it 40 years ago when it came out or whatever, but uh, still a pretty damn compelling movie and the performances specifically of the girl, although, you know, obviously they're cheating a little bit because they have someone else dubbing over the voice, but um, of of the girl and the two priests um, was, uh, was very compelling. And the final half hour of that movie is really, really something It's it's definitely worth the watch. Even if you're not a big horror fan, I think, you're watching it in present day context. You're not really probably going to be scared by what you're actually seeing. I mean, like the implications of it might scare you sure. in the way that like other, like if you're not like cool with that sort of thing, but like the actual, like it's not even really any jump scare stuff. Um, most of the stuff you can kind of tell something's going to happen before it's going to happen. Uh, some of it's a little bit of gross out factor more than anything, but not half as gross as some of the shit you'll see with made with present day technology. Um, but uh, no, it's a good, it's a good movie. It's a good story. It's uh, I'm glad I finally checked that box. Nice. I I still have yet to watch that one. I I feel like I'm a little bit more like I'm not into horror movies. Like similar to you, Al. It's not something like I'm like super into. But I am incredibly fascinated by them, and I don't know why. Like they, I definitely have like a draw to them, but I don't. I don't love sitting down to watch one. I've been curious. I've never seen The Exorcist. I would love to watch it. I will watch it eventually, I'm sure. Um, but it is definitely it is definitely the supernatural ones that really that like 
give me the heebie-jeebies more than other one. And it's definitely like a hubris thing, right? It's like when it comes like a slasher film, it's like I could, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I could do something, right? I could hold my own. What am I going to punch a demon? Like what? Like what's my plan? And I think that's where that's why those like freak me out a little bit more. Um, but uh, I definitely. I would I would give it a go. Do you have any interest in seeing the, the what what came out just recently? Was it a prequel? I think it's a sequel. Oh, okay. Um, so what's interesting about the original? Is it a requel? It's not a requel exactly, from my okay. understanding. So what I will say is, is it Halloween get... two or two or two <laughs> <laughs> or Halloween? <laughs> so with with respect with respect to the original one. I don't want to get into a conversation because I'm not equipped to have it. Uh, I don't none, I think none of us probably are, but the first one is not one of those ones like, Oh, like based on a true story or it, Oh, it's a true story. And it didn't happen. Like supposedly it's a true story. Um, I don't know what the history of that is. I don't know what the facts with, are with that, but this isn't like the thing that like horror movies for the last 30 or 40 years have been doing where it's like, these things are real and like not, yeah, yeah. not even 1% real. Mm-hmm. Like this is a thing that happened, whether or not she was possessed. I do not know. And I will not register an opinion on, but there was a girl who had something going on and there were priests that were dispatched to save her because medicine couldn't. Mm-hmm. And it's all of the exorcism movies that have been made after that are 100% fiction to the best mm-hmm. of my knowledge. And also are made to be horror movies. This is not a horror movie in the sense of like, it doesn't follow the tropes of horror movies. Gotcha. It's a movie about someone being possessed and how you go about exercising a demon. It's not a movie that is, we're going to do something scary to scare you. Mm -hmm. Like most of those horror movies of the eighties, nineties and so on are, um, that doesn't inherently make it better or worse. Uh, just like what makes it an interesting and good movie, I, I think, is that it's not actually a horror movie. It's a movie that may horrify you. Sure. I would, uh, despite the fact that it couldn't be any more wildly different, was like the most scared I have been watching a movie in quite some time. We've talked about it is Annihilation, and that is a one hundred percent fiction yeah. movie. Sure. That's not a horror movie. It's not made in the style of a horror movie. But it is a movie in which horrible and horrifying things happen, right? Like, horror movies don't, quote-unquote, scare me. They may gross me out if they're, like... Scream bear. Never forget. Yeah, the demon bear. Um, A movie that is scary to me is one in which I don't know what's going to happen next in a real way. Mm. And, um, you know, the implications of The Exorcist are pretty terrifying in its own right. So, you know wherever you stand on all of those things is, you know, your mileage is going to vary or whatever. But what, what sure. is interesting about the movie is it's not a schlocky horror movie. It's a movie about something horrifying. It's got great music. That too. It's got great music. Also, that, Max von Sydow was like 44 when that movie was made. And he's looked like he's been 70 for the past 50 years. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's the old priest and he's like, three years older than the young priest in real life at the time of the filming. That's great. He's like, I'm serious. He's in his like early mid forties and he looks like he's 70. (laughs) 
And I'm not just talking about the white hair. I'm talking about his face and the movement of his body, which maybe that's the real true great acting is he looks like a frail old man in like his body language, even though he's like Mike's age and Mike is not a frail old man. <laughs> uh, can you still hear me? First of all? Yes. Yes. All right. Cause the AirPods came out. Al, after that football game we played and I collided <laughs> with you, I promise you I walked more gingerly than Max von Sydow. It can't be more gingerly. It might have been approaching as gingerly, but it couldn't have been more. I I, I was in pain for a month. And you knocked him into The Force Awakens. I did. He did. But Anthony, did I, I tell you about Al's, that? I ran into Al's elbow, and I am sure I cracked ribs every sneeze and every cough for one month. Hurt. We played uh, what has become like an almost yearly occurrence, the uh, Bielsi, um clan football game like three years ago, probably. It was the day after Dune. So whenever Dune premiered, I thought oh, that might yeah. have been 21. That's 21. Yeah. So two that years was, ago. It was the day after because we were all talking about it as we were attempting. I was attempting the stretch. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we, we were we were playing Amazing. We, we had a pick play set where we we're going to throw like a short pass and then like we we're it was like a screen pass and i ran my route and like kind of hooked around to set a block like the first block to try and spring the play and we were throwing the ball i think to the guy that mike was covering so he yes. was the first line of defense and he comes running across and this is football not basketball so contact is implicit in a pick in a way that it's not you know, quite to the same level in basketball. And you're, you know, you're allowed to deliver a blow, but I wasn't being a dick. I planted you were my protecting feet. protecting your body. All you did I, was protect your body. I, I planted my feet in the style of a basketball pick, but I, I leaned my weight forward with my shoulder in the way, like style of a football play, you know, without like the full speed collision and like driving of a feet, the way that blocking would be in offense. And my shoulder and forearm went directly into an unprotected and unsuspected. It was the elbow. Mid the elbow got my rib cage. It was literally like this whole section of me collided Ouch. with Mike as he's turned to a 90 degree angle, not in any way, shape, or form realizing that I'm there. Clean block, it's <laughs> hit right down the midline of his torso, but he just had no idea because his eye is on the ball carrier. Oh my and God. The, the thud and. <laughs> Mike just kind of slowly, like, disintegrating <laughs> through the contact. Thank you for not mentioning the very non-masculine yelp I let out when I hit you. So I actually will say, yeah, that's, so you've you've told that story, and I was going to let you tell that part of it, but you told me you told your stu- students later that week oh, yeah. about, um, oh, yeah. I actually didn't hear much of the way of a, a of a, like an emasculating sound. In my experience, what I heard you let out was the sound of, you know, when you have a a balloon full of air and you like hold open the opening and it's that sound that comes out. That's what I heard was just all of the oxygen and carbon dioxide being forcibly expelled from your lungs because that was they his were, soul leaving his body. That's what well, I heard. I didn't well, hear I a yelp like- or a whimper. I just heard the sound of all of the air leaving your body. No, I walked into class and they said, did you get in a car accident? And I said, no. Yes. <laughs> I said, but I'll tell you, I ran into the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> and uh, I, I stand by that. I, I stand by that. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> the shot pans over as Mike slowly in slow motion falls to the ground. Hello, oh. darkness, my old friend. Yeah. <laughs> well said, man. Well, t- to Mike's credit, he did finish the game, but it's also the last time he played, and he's already said he's not going to play yeah. with us. Yeah, I mean, finish is a generous word. Finish meaning I, I, I was still on the field. You were or, physically present on the field. <laughs> but I was ineffective. <laughs> Not that I was effective before the incident, but I certainly wasn't after. <laughs> that that just read is one of my probably one of my favorite lines in Arrested Development when um, Tobias goes to Michael to talk about his marital tr- troubles with Lindsay, and he says, "When did the trouble start?" And he goes, "It was like uh, like around nine <laughs> eleven." He goes, "He goes, wait, you're saying that nine eleven was the reason?" He goes, "Well, it certainly didn't help." <laughs> <laughs> that show is so oh my god oh my god uh, move, all right so moving on to some other consumption i did have a wonderful brunch the other day um we went to alternate ending which al obviously the our my uh my take on this place has been a roller coaster since we yeah, uh, drove past that the other day on the way home so yeah i was like hey i know uh, where i am that's very close ending right it's very there. close to us um they have a great brunch. Saturday, Sunday, they have a breakfast club themed brunch. So in the in the projector on the room to the right when you walk in is breakfast club playing during ah. those hours. Uh, all of the menu items are uh, the actually the menu is in all different sections. Each of the sections is more like the jock. The like it's like it's like each of the characters like has okay. a section and then there's a few menu items under it. Great options. Um we went with the All American, which was it sounds it sounds so basic. It was just you know it was scrambled eggs and a meat of choice and a hash brown and a biscuit, right? But the way that it was put together is just so wonderful. The scrambled eggs were clearly made um, with a sous vide. They were wonderfully fluffy and light and delicious, and there was just this massive biscuit served with it, and this incredible incredibly seasoned hash brown that they like prepare like it was a work of art when the thing came over it was just so it was so delicious um and then I, it dawned on me this place it can it, it it that's this is its thing it does brunch really well the pizza is pretty good mm-hmm. it's very very overpriced the pizza okay. the brunch was reasonably priced and excellent and that's the only thing so far at that place that has been the combination of really good and well priced, <laughs> or appropriately priced, I should say. Like yeah. I've made pizza, like for a long time, their pizza is too much money, <laughs> and it's not. It doesn't reflect it in the quality. Yeah, your your dad owned a pizzeria. You worked yeah. there for many years. Yeah, it's just too much. It's too much. You can't you can't have a section of toppings that is three dollars per topping. It's just. It, I mean, unless it's, it's like not, wagyu it's beef right. or something. It, but it's not. Yeah. It's pepperoni. It's like what, <laughs> but uh, but the brunch really good, really good. Um, that is where I had my beer mosa that I mentioned earlier today. Yes, good, nice. That's uh, I think. Oh, I was gonna say that's the extent of my consumption, but there is one more. I uh, I did get to see a haunting in Venice. Um, oh, that's right. You told me the other day since the last time we recorded. Very, very entertaining. I love those movies. I've loved every one of them we've seen so far. So um, they keep making them. I'll keep going to see them. Did you enjoy Death on the Nile? 
Yes, but it's not particularly good. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about this the other day when Anthony told me he saw this. It was like, first one, good movie, loved it. Second one, I definitely had fun watching it, but not a good movie. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. Al, what's the quote? Enough champagne to fill the Nile that a cinephobe plays. Oh, yeah. Cinephobe. Every, every other. Anytime anyone mentions champagne, you know, it's enough pop. Champagne to fill the Nile. Yes, yeah, champagne, champagne. <laughs> <laughs> now this this one was really this one was really entertaining because um, it was like a new take. I obviously we're still doing the whole like what's the mystery? Let's let uh, Perot like figure it out. But it's there's the layer of the supernatural. And wait, is this really happening? Is this like where are we going? Like how like how far? into this are we going to get in this movie series like what does it mean for like its basis of reality and i think they they think they managed it really well and it it really came together nicely in the end so i very much enjoyed it the only only problem i have is when i see a movie like this um a murder mystery or any any sort of thriller mystery anything like that i like knowing that the details are fully there in the movie for me to figure it out if I happen to catch all of them or if I'm paying enough attention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all of the details are not there in this movie. They're given to you like in exposition before the reveal, which is not like like, like one major piece that like you can't you can't make a logical jump from one thing to the next without this piece of information that is not given to you in any way, shape, or form until that moment. And it's at that moment where they're explaining it to you. So it was like, that was my only problem with it. It's like, well, that's not on me. That's on you. You didn't, there wasn't like, I couldn't guess that from the stuff that you, and I would say usually when that's the case, I'd be like, well, let me rewatch it one more time. But like, they very clearly gave a very specific piece of information that they had not hinted at before. Or like they maybe, they vaguely hinted about something that could potentially lead there if we followed that thread at all, but we didn't follow that thread at all. And that, that bothered me a little bit, but not enough to ruin the experience. That's good to hear. I mean, because you can't beat a good murder mystery. Both the uh, Ryan Johnson, Knives Out, and Glass Onion, mm. I thought were awesome. So <laughs> you get a really good murder mystery. It's it's great. Yeah. I'm, big, yeah. I'm a big fan. What, yeah, I, and I like them. I, I guess, you know, I don't think you have to have every single detail because I think that the Ryan Johnson one actually does that where they keep a couple of things close to the vest, but you can kind of sort of get towards it. But it is nice to have enough there where you have a legitimate chance. I, I do think some people get too caught up in trying to figure out everything. This whole mystery box era that the, like the last 10 or 15 years of like movies and especially TV like Westworld went through this phenomenon. You know, a bunch of other shows have gone through this phenomenon. Um, I think people get too caught up in like, just watch the fucking show and like have your theories, but like, don't get pissed when your theory ends up being wrong. Um, because I just yeah. an exhausting way to engage with these things. I, I generally am not trying to figure the thing out. I, but I pay really close attention when I'm watching movies just naturally. I, yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy soaking in every detail of a movie. I usually know the thing a few moments before it's revealed. I've, officially decided that this is what's happening and then it happens. And I'm, I love that. I love figuring it out. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's really fun. But like, this was like one of those things where like the, I had, I called all of the callable things in reasonable timing 
Yeah. Except for this one thing that was still a gap to me that I didn't quite understand. Well, like why? And then when they explained it, I was like, well, that's not good enough. <laughs> but, but, but it was, again, it was excusable because there was a, there's enough other mysteries like that, that are like playing out. It's, it's, it's just, it's just fun. Right. Like knives out is like the perfect example of if you go back, like you might not figure out all of the pieces. You might have an idea. You might, be able to make a couple of logical leaps to get to an answer. But when they go back and they play through it and you're like, Oh my God, how well crafted was that? That everything is there. Like, and it's just like, that is, that's really good writing and direction. Right. Because like part of that is like, there's a little bit of like being a magician as the director. They're like, you do have to misdirect so that it's not so obvious, but it is, but they're leaving it right in front of you. And I think that's really like that. There's true craftsmanship in that. And well, I remember I, it totally I love that. in the in Death on the Nile. It totally fucked my mind when I was watching and I called what happened. It like the moment when things start to really go off the rails with like the, when the guns start coming out on the boat, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Am I insane or did that person just pull a handkerchief out of their sleeve to cover up <laughs> the wound?" And like doesn't get addressed for the next like 45 minutes of movie. <laughs> and then it comes out. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'm glad I'm not insane. Like that was actually done intentionally. So you could, if you were paying attention, see and start to figure out what was going on. You know, I yeah. thought that's, that, that's a cool way to do it. And they did some of that. You and me talked about it with glass onion, where thing where he switches the glasses and it's like, you know, he definitely switched the glasses. It's like, you can see yeah. it happen. It was kind of clumsy. In fact, it wasn't even hidden that well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wasn't even that good oh man yeah i love i love that so m- mysteries are so fun to watch what uh all right what uh, anybody have any other consumptions they want to go through mike do you have anything else uh no i mean nothing that would take us wouldn't avoid taking us down another 45 <laughs> i just finally started watching peaky blinders after years of not i'm, I'm finally happy i'm finally watching that Okay. About halfway through. I watched the first three or four episodes and was liking watching it, even though I was having a hard time understanding what they were saying. And then I just never watched the rest of it for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I watch it with subtitles, and that's helped with the enjoyment. Yeah, yeah, I think that when I eventually get back to it, that'll be what I have to do, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I definitely want to get back into that. I started watching it. I was really into it, but it was one of the ones that Kim and I sat down to watch and she had fallen asleep. And then we like tried the episode again. I was like, I can't, I, I don't want to rewatch any of it. I want to yeah. watch it once. <laughs> right. So I, I might, I might give it another go at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That's one I definitely want to watch. I've heard almost nothing but good things about it. And it's cool cast and it's an interesting story. You know, it's not like a story that's been told in a lot of places, I feel like. So. You know, that specific thing and that specific time. So, um, yeah, I would like to get to that. So I'm glad you're you're watching that because uh, it's somewhere down the line. After, after football season, I have a lot of things I want to get to watch and play a lot more video games this year than I had the previous year. So that also chews up some of that time as well that I have it's disposable. Like, I mean, like I've been talking about playing Starfield. I haven't played it in two weeks, which, you know, it's just tough to find the time to sit down and do or watch or play anything that's not football related in my free time, especially because doing a lot of things like during the week or weekends that are like outside of the house, which is great. It's nice to have, you know, social life and stuff too. Like it's nice to get out and sure. do some things. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
I uh, I watched one other movie. Uh, we don't have to spend a ton of time talking about it because um, it's uh, certainly an, an, a unique um, movie. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this trailer or saw the movie. I remember the trailer from it was probably a year ago, and being like, uh, "What is this? Is this a horror? Is it a comedy?" It turns out it's both. And the movie the movie was the the blackening which was a spoof horror movie that came out like a year ago. And like the kind of one of the premises that's like posited in the trailer is like, you know, that trope from like 90s and 90s horror movies that like the black character always dies first. And in this movie, all of them are black. So they can't all die first. <laughs> that's great. And um, it's, it's posed early on. Is this going to be a supernatural ish movie? Is it going to be, more like um what's it called um get out or us mm. is it gonna be scary movie like what is it gonna be and i find that it kind of borrows from all of those things cool. and it was an entertaining watch it is a unique watch <laughs> but um that one also i actually i called pretty early what was going on i got the majority of it right although i will certainly say i didn't foresee and they certainly didn't give you in any way in order to foresee why it was happening exactly. Sure. I, the, the general premise I figured out, but uh, it was pretty funny. Um, and uh, it had some good solid horror slasher beats in the way that like scream or scary movie, like has like comedic horror beats. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a good cast. that had really good chemistry together. It's well-written. It's an interesting, like I didn't, there's only one person in the movie I recognize. It's a pretty small role. It's Diedrich Bader playing this park ranger. And uh, Mike, you saw you've been nodding throughout this. I did. I did. And I agree with all your points. uh, (laughs) I watched bodies, bodies, bodies within the last six months. And that did not really entertain me where this, I felt did entertain me. The blackening was pretty entertaining. It was, um, it wasn't scary movie. It wasn't get out, but it was entertaining. Yeah, solid, entertaining movie. Yeah. It was uh, nice. it was an interesting experience. Um, I liked the I liked the chemistry a lot of the main cast and some of the ridiculous hijinks where it's like this should be kind of serious, but instead, like I will just say this one slight little spoiler. It's not a spoiler at all. Uh, one character gets shot with an arrow, and no one wants to take the arrow out of the person. <laughs> Finally, someone steps up to the plate and accidentally stabs themselves with the arrow because they yanked too hard <laughs> to get it out. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, well, I feel like that's probably that is enough consumption for one week. Let us get into our flick of the week. Clerks 3, released August 24th, 2022, rated R with a one hour and 40 minute runtime. Your call sheet synopsis. After narrowly surviving a massive heart attack, Randall enlists his old friend Dante to help him make a movie immortalizing their youthful days at the little convenience store that started it all. That's pretty good. That was a good one. That was a pretty yeah. good summary. I feel like sometimes the summaries, are, they could be so hit or miss. I've been meaning to uh, ask you, why have you been going with different sites instead of IMDb? IMDb is an absolute train wreck of a website. Okay. Uh, it just takes forever to load. It's just filled with ads. Sometimes I I can never find what I'm looking for, as you've noticed on this show. (laughs) 
So I have noticed that, especially on the app, which is actually even worse. um, It's so painful. It loads really inconsistently and slowly now. I will say, once I get it to function properly, I still find it to be very useful um, in in all of the ways I want to search and and travel down rabbit holes. But yeah, the the user experience overall has gone down. There's no question about that. No. Well, this this app is it's called Call Sheet. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to called ATP, and used, one of the hosts. You've used Letterbox as well. I do. I yeah. I I've started using that too for like tracking movies. Um, but I always forget to go into it, and then my like actual tracking is incomplete. And mm. I feel like I'm, as you know, with some video games, like I feel like I can be a completionist. So then I'm like, well, now I just have to abandon this whole thing. <laughs> I either have to, I either have to like dive like really deep into it and backfill everything, or I need to just stop. <laughs> There's only two options. But um, why don't we, uh, why don't we kick it off with some two length reviews? Al, you want to go first? Before we do that, I'd like to hijack the show real quick. Um, which oh, is okay. To say I'd like to pass the baton for Mike to hijack the show because you charged me a couple weeks ago with telling you to tell us the story about your mole rats DVD. Oh, right, right, right. <sighs> so excited. I, um, I didn't think about this the last time you guys had me on. And then when I listened to the episode, um, I, I think Anthony, you have to have the mole rats DVD. Mm-hmm. And my first DVD player was my computer. I didn't have a same same mission impossible Two for a DVD. So I want to say matrix and saving private Ryan were my first two. And then shortly after I remember the X-Men DVD from 2000. And if you mess around on the menus, there's that, um, ice flower that Iceman makes on rogues desk. And if yeah. you click on that on the menu, you get a really cool cut scene or a a, a, a goofy scene. Uh, awesome. For anybody for anybody that has that DVD, I forget what menu it's on. If you click on the rose, which on a mouse on a computer is very easy, probably challenging with a remote. It's it's an entertaining little scene. Well, when we got mall rats again, it's on the computer. And my brother and his best friend are next to me. And I go, I click and I go, guys, I found an Easter egg. So they huddle around me and it's Kevin Smith mocking anybody that found this Easter egg. (laughs) (laughs) He he goes, you just think you found yourself an Easter egg. Instead, you find us mocking you. (laughs) And my brother and his friend are on the floor laughing at me. And I was so proud of myself, but I was instantly like crushed. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> I was so devastated. That's so, hysterical. Yeah. So anybody who's got the Mole Rats DVD, I forget what menu, but it's like a a robot. If you click on the robot, it takes you to it. It's it's less than a minute long. Worth it to be oh humiliated. I, I recommend <laughs> it. Yeah, when I when I unpack the movies, I'll I'll give that one a go. I've actually like I've long forgotten the DVD Easter eggs and menu systems and all of the nonsense that could be in there. Um, there there are some good ones. Yeah, the Lord of the Rings. Each of them, the extended editions, had a good one on each disc. The um, um, Terminator Two had like a pretty high end like calibration tool in it, and like so much like there was even like a. 
uh, an order number for you to send away for like these blue filter glasses to appropriately change the colors on your TV to match the like to find the actual right spec to to meet the colorization of the movie. It's really? ridiculous. Yeah, huh. I got I I still have those THX glasses somewhere in some bin. It's <laughs> awesome. Wow, I love that. I love that. All right, so anyway. I also I also love the the that you like brought this back for me like sitting in front of the like just a garbage computer screen watching a DVD right right a nineteen inch <laughs> monitor you know a CRT that barely fits on a desk oh yeah. man good yes. times yes so that's twenty years ago at least that I saw that but it, it, when Al invited me on I was like all right well then you have to remind me to. <laughs> The first thing I did, I created my note page right then and there because I definitely was going to forget. So, oh, good it. memory, man. Yeah. All right, all right, Al, kick us off. Nostalgia, noun, a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for return to or some past period or irrevocable condition. <clears throat> this movie is the purest dissolution of that word, for better and worse. Six out of ten. Okay. All right, Mike. All right, I apologize in advance for this run-on sentence. Uh, <laughs> this, this may make no sense. <laughs> no, no. Uh, here we go. Uh, Kevin Smith, inspired by real-life events, calls back over and over to the previous superior entries in the trilogy with less than stellar results, 5.5 out of 10. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh no surprise, I'm probably going to be the one that liked the movie the most, but that's yeah. fair. It's totally fine. Uh, a love letter to the family, friends, and self. Clerks 3 is a wonderfully comedic and nostalgic romp to a bittersweet finale. 8 out of 10. Okay. Uh, I get I get everything you're all saying. I totally understand. Uh, that being said, I, I just, I love these movies so damn much. And I will say my score was definitely lower before I saw it a second time. Oh, Having rewatched also- it. You saw it with Kevin Smith there, yeah. Because I, I have no automatically doubt that that's got to add it one or two points. That has to. It's so good. Like I, yeah, it's the I've oh. seen. I think that was the, I've seen two or three movies like that at his like events, and they, and I've also just seen him like like doing like his like stand up or Q and As, um, and it, it really is. It's just it's just a treat because like. It's like one of those things like if you're going and you're going to sit there, like everybody that's there wants to be there. And I think it's really fun to see a movie like that with people that just get it right. Like every like nobody's just coming off the street to see this movie at uh, the Count Basie Theater. Uh, you, you have to buy your tickets in advance. The show sells out. It's an hour, 40 minute movie and then three hours of nonsense following it. Maybe an hour of nonsense leading up to the movie even starting because he starts off talking do and they talking do, and talking. Do they do bathroom breaks? Because I meant to ask that when you described this last week as well. Not like set bathroom. You could go up, but you can go to the bathroom. And come so I feel back. like you wouldn't want to miss anything. I feel like, like after the movie concludes, it's like, all right, guys, everyone go to the bathroom. Like we'll reconvene in twenty. Like yeah, I feel like yeah, you need. I don't. There was not much time. No, there wasn't like a break. He comes like right out after the credits and. I was sitting. I was sitting in front of the cast of uh, the what's that comic book show that he has uh, or had comic book the Man? Secret Stash comic book men. Yeah, they were all there because it's in Red Bank and that's where the theater was. Hmm. Um, 
but uh, his his family was off on the side. It was it's just cool. Like everybody's there. Like they want to be there. It's fun. We also saw yoga hosers in that same theater. And again, yoga hosers not not good really, but fun <laughs> and entertaining. And like it's just it's just a really fun night out. Um, it's just I don't know. It's just a blast. I we've talked about this before, but Clerks has a special place in my heart because it just so many of the things remind me of working at the pizzeria, and I love that about it. Um. And this is definitely it's 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 clunky. This one, it's not like the first one is is just like is actually a really well made and constructed movie, even though it's all nonsense. The second one is just an over the top hysterical comedy. Like yeah. it's just like really like he like figured out like the like the comedy movie formula like perfectly for that one, right? Like it, it actually felt less like a Kevin Smith movie. Although it had that DNA and more like a just a traditional like you know like it's, a waiting or some other silly like movie. It is right? it is something that I cannot a, a word that I an adjective I cannot use to describe any of his other movies. It's polished, mm. right? It's a polished studio comedy like yeah, R rated raunchy as all hell. But like it is it is a movie that is professionally made in a way that none of his other movies are. Yeah, that's that that's fair. And then this one, it's it's definitely uh, coming in his whatever whatever act of his life this is with these movies that he's making. But like, there's a different vibe to it altogether. And I under like he's gone through some stuff. And every time that he's gone through something, his movies have changed significantly, right? Yeah. And like that, I think that's really cool. Like you can see, you can track his life through his movies, and that's awesome. And there's a lot of storytelling and characters that are built around him specifically and his experiences and his friends, and that's that's really it's it's really awesome. Um, this definitely suffers a little bit. I feel like of the same thing that like the Irishman suffers from. It's just like you got to somebody else's hands have to get on it a little bit to help <laughs> rein you in. Well, I'll um, I'll forgive him a bit more considering this movie's half the runtime of fucking yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that, that that's that's fair. Um, but I like yeah like I said though the first time I watched it I during the whole entire first act I was like uh oh like is it is it not like is it not good am I not getting it like what's hap like what's ha- like I'm not into it like what's happening and then it it picked up steam and I enjoyed it like as it went on. When I rewatched it, knowing how it's going to start off, I was just paying attention a little bit more to like some of the jokes and the interactions and things like that. And I was really enjoying it. Like not so much worried about where is it going to go? Oh my God, I really hope this is good after all this time. And knowing like the gist of it and then going back into it to rewatch it, I I actually ended up enjoying it way more. Um, And I just, I love, I just love those characters. They're just, they're so funny. I, the, uh, I maybe the best thing to happen. To, like, obviously, I love Randall and Dante, but like the best thing to happen to Clerks was the, uh, the intro- introduction of El- of Elias in, in Clerks too. Like, he's so funny. He's just yeah. he's such a ridiculous character. And then the transition to ha- to to worshiping Satan. Like, oh my I, gosh, and it like, was just so funny. Each outfit <laughs> being more ridiculous than the one from the previous section. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and like that was like that wasn't that joke wasn't landing the first time I watched it. Like I was like, what? Like this is just like it's like too weird, or like it's like too over the top. That was but, the then, point. Like, <laughs> but then I ended up loving it. Like just like yeah, every single time he was, I was like, what? Like you really have to like pay attention. Like what is going? What is actually happening on the screen right now? Because it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, just like yeah, some of the way he starts talking about like when he's when he's praying in the the hospital. 
and the way he's talking about becoming like the bride of Satan or whatever the fuck yeah. it is, and just like <laughs> continuing to ratchet up and escalate like in a way that was like genuinely shocking. And at first, you think he's playing as a joke, and then the, the fact that he commits to the bit for the whole rest of the movie, a way mm. again in a way that's more escalating, where it's like. Oh, okay. Like he looks a little bit goth in like the first scene that he shows up, and then by the end, like the fucking amount of leather and like face paint that he's wearing is just shocking. <laughs> yeah. I I will say, um, as, like the movie's obviously it's absurd. It's Clerks. It's I really I love that. Um, Brian O'Halloran, like there are two particular emotional scenes that he gives that I'm like holy shit like i think those were really good like where i was like where like where did those acting chops come from i was i was literally about to say that was one of the few like actual not that i wrote it down but it was like one of the like the notes i took away from watching this movie is not that he was like a dreadful actor but at some point in the last 25 years or 20 years um it's almost 30 years sorry um he learned how to act because like why hasn't he gotten other roles? Has Kevin Smith actually held him back in his career because he was actually a, a good actor in this movie? He was. I thought. Yeah, I thought he was excellent. I do think that, like, if you really think about like the depth of character, there's a lot more going on with him in this movie than there is in the others, right? Sure. Like, the other two movies are one note. Like he's just whiny and doesn't want to be there. Like, yeah, that's but- pretty much it. This one, he's suffered trauma and he's dealing with it, or well dealing with it by not dealing with it. And I think that that comes through. And I feel like that's probably like a massive reflection of Kevin Smith's actual life, having had a heart attack and coping with death and things like that. Like the, the way that that translates into Dante's character and the writing and and then ultimately the performance, like there, like you have to like whatever he's pulling on to get through those scenes. Like I feel, I feel terrible because I don't know what it is, but it is so convincing <laughs> that, that I was just blown away. We're talking specifically about like the in the in the cemetery scene and the yep. fight scene with Randall, right? Like those two particular Absolutely. scenes are just like holy crap. <laughs> he plays them two different ways, right? He's much more understated in the cemetery scene, and then mm-hmm. he plays it big in the scene leading up to his heart attack, and he does both more than adequately. I thought he was actually really strong. Uh, I actually think, even though it's a quieter scene, I thought he was probably even better in the cemetery scene than he was in and the fight scene and it was great in that um but even like when he's playing the annoying or the whiny dante in this like i still thought he did it in a way that was like real in a way that Mm. maybe wasn't as much so in the younger one where it's like oh you're just playing an annoying yeah you know 30 year old or 20 something year old or whatever it is he's supposed to be and maybe it could just very well be like experienced now, right? Like I don't know what else he's been doing, but like he's got a couple, at least a couple movies under his belt. Like maybe he got into, maybe this is something that he didn't know he wanted to do when he did the first movie, and now it was like, I, like at this point is like I enjoy being an actor and like I have something to say, and it's just it was very impressive. Um, I was, I was, yeah, I was blown away by that <laughs> both times. <laughs> I actually forgot about it the second time how good his performance was in those scenes. And when I was watching it again, I was like, I can't do this again. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was his best acting as far as being an actor in all of Smith's movies, Mm. you know, for him. You know, he's he's normally there for comedic relief. And it was it was good dramatic acting on his part. Yeah, I uh, I will like. 
really caught the first the first time I watched it. Uh, the shock value was gone the second, but like the the first time you watch it, um, uh, I don't I can't actually remember the character's name, but Rosario Dawson's character Becca, right? Becca, thank you. Yeah, but, but like when you immediately like you know the movie starts and like we're getting going, we're seeing where it goes, and it's like the the date of her birth and death, like, and it's like posted there on the on the cancer show. I was like, what the? Fuck? I was like, what? <laughs> like, like, what? Like, surely, surely, we're like, this is something else. This is not what's happened. Like, what? What I think it is, and then like, oh, like that is the case. And when we like, when we get to finally get to it, and what happened, and just the actual, like, it is a horrendous scenario that they've like that he's written for this character, and it's it's just like it's completely heartbreaking. But like that moment when Dante is in the hospital with Randall, and they do the like he's seeing him run in with her uh, when she had her act like that was the flashback. That yeah. was really great. Like that was just such an incredibly done scene. Um, again, that one really got me. I was just like, it was also, a gut punch. It was yeah. a gut punch right away, man. Absolutely. I, I was a little worried early on in the movie because like at first they kind of talked around her, and then it was like okay, like she died, and I was like, oh, could they? not get Rosario to do the movie. And that's why they wrote her out of the movie. But then to, to get her, and to be fair, it's a cameo. She probably showed up to set for like a day or three. Um, <clears throat> but um, to get her to shoot some of those scenes, um, I thought made it a lot more powerful to do it in that way. And they just wanted to tell this story without, her. or you know, maybe there was a, a scheduling thing as well. Who knows? But um, I, I thought it was an interesting way to tell this story, even with her being, you know, a specter kind of hovering over the movie versus being an active part of it in that way. Yeah. I, I definitely thought that at first too. Like, is this a schedule? Like when she was dead, I was like, Oh wow, that's weird. Was this a schedule? thing? could they not get her? But then to have her be in so many meaningful scenes, like as yeah. uh, an entity, like I was like, Oh, that's not the case. It almost like, it seems very much intentional that he wrote it this way, especially since I would have been surprised if, he needed her to be in the movie more if she wouldn't be there because I feel like she's always been on board with any of the things that he's done. Um, so it definitely feels like more like naturally what he wanted to write. To be fair, they might have stolen her from by shooting this in the back lot of the Mandalorian because there was like three or four different Mandalorian actors in this uh, between her. The surgeon was, uh, what's her name? Amy Sedaris. Um, yeah, Amy Sedaris. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Moynihan was in it for a couple of seconds during the auditions. He was one of the auditioners, yeah. Wasn't you, there, there, was there one other person, too? I thought there was one other person who was in it as well. Um, I know I thought about it at the time, and I didn't write it down, and later on I was racking my brain. I couldn't remember. I thought there might have been one other person, but I don't want to spend too much time if you guys hmm. don't have it off the top of your head. Those I, are the only people I... Well, Danny Trejo was in Boba Fett, but... He that's wasn't. right. Okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> you, are you familiar with the Bobby Moynihan thing? Like the whole, like why he did that in, like why he was in the movie? In this movie? No. Yeah. So that was his SNL audition. He came out. They recreated for his, his SNL. And he did Silent Bob. He didn't say anything. He just stood on the wall. And it, I guess they it, it's it, it worked and they hired him. But like that's just like a that's like one of the stories that he tells, and at least I've heard I've heard him tell in the person multiple times, like during those standups. But like that's like a like a thing. Like he actually he was like I his audition tape was him pretending to be Silent Bob. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. That's kind of I a, didn't that, know that a gambit. Yeah. That's an interesting yeah. gambit to try and get on <laughs> SNL. <laughs> Seriously, it worked. <laughs> I actually go back to auditions. The whole so like where 
when they had like all those people come in to do the auditions, that was that was great. Bringing like a whole bunch of his like people that he's worked with over the years in to like to to read lines for these parts from the first movie was really comical. I I know you don't like him. I loved the Ben Affleck one. It was so stupid. <laughs> it was too <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. His mom was great. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> um, what do you call it? So I, I wrote a disclaimer because I, like I said, was not a fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. But Smith had the Widowmaker heart attack. Like mm-hmm. most people that have this thing do not survive. So I still remember my brother sending me a text. And all I read was the headline, and I, I was like, oh, my God, did Kevin Smith die? Like, I didn't even click on the article. And I'm like, oh, like, it was yeah. a pretty, you know, for, we all go through this, whether it's a musician, an athlete, you know, and I'm sure we all scoff at people that react to a, a singer, actor, or athlete that we don't follow. Like, really, you're that upset about that? But when it hits close to home, whether it's yep. Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia or, um, I mean, Kobe Bryant, how old was he? You know, was he 43? You know, like when, when these things hit close to home, they hit you. Yeah. And yeah. so I remember seeing that text and I'm like, oh, oh my God, is he gone? You get and that so, moment of like panic where not only is it like, oh, is this person alive or dead? Like you can't even like process what exactly. It, it's, yeah. it's like a, such a stupid thing. It doesn't make sense. And yet... Like, it does make sense because these people are important to you, maybe not as people, but as, like, an avatar for, like, something that's important in your life, right? With, with yeah, whatever form I mean, of entertainment, you know, like, and you, you come to appreciate them as people as well, but, like, you're, I almost find, like, you're, you have, like, this two combative, like, things, especially for someone who's younger, right? When it's, like, you know, oh, if you, like, love Betty White, say, right? And she's couple of weeks from being 100 years old it's like oh that's so sad but she's 100 years old right mm-hmm. when it's a 50 year old kevin smith or a 40 something year old kobe bryant or mm-hmm. like insert name of actor actress chadwick boseman chadwick boseman yeah 40 yeah, something year old chadwick boseman especially you know especially in a situation like him or kobe bryant where it's like you didn't know chadwick boseman had cancer until he died you didn't right. know i mean there's no way to know kobe bryant died in a helicopter crash like there's no way to to prepare yourself for a 40 something year old to die in a helicopter crash, especially if they're not a helicopter pilot, you know, like right. when you have that moment of, you have these, these almost opposing forces fighting within you of the tragedy of the person, which like a normal empathic person would be able to, Oh, that's so tragic when someone young is cut down in their prime. And then almost grappling against it, like the very selfish, like the polar opposite of, how many championships did I watch him play for the Lakers? How many incredible movies did I watch him make? How many incredible songs did that person sing? You know, and you get that guilt factor as like the tug of war happens within you. It's in in a way that plays up that level of like stress and anxiety in a way that would match if, as if someone who was actually important in your life would die in a way where that's a real tangible thing when your sibling or your parent or your grandparent or, your favorite teacher from when you were a kid or whatever, like someone who like your, your childhood friend who you haven't spoken to in years. Like the, like there's, it's a weird, it's, it's a distinctly human condition and it doesn't make a lot of sense when it's someone you've never met before, but the memories that you make enjoying the work that they made, 
you know, you can't take that away from how formative that is to you. Yeah. So like I was thinking like of nineties directors, like ones that really got going, whether it's Spike Lee, Tarantino, Soderbergh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Richard Linklater, and all of them are a, in a different category than Kevin Smith. But because of the age I was, Smith was the more formative one in the nineties for me. You know, those comedies, what Judd Apatow became a decade later, he was that for me in the 90s. So those movies really hit home, you know. And so I think that's why I have such a hard time with this movie, because to me, he kept going back. You know, I kept I I know what he was going for with each of the callbacks, whether it was hockey on the roof, whether it was the happy scrappy T-shirt, whether it was the nail cigarettes. Uh, Chuli's gum, like all these things were there in the first Clerks movie. But to me, it was like he almost used them as a crutch. And I hate saying it, but that's what I kept feeling throughout the movie. That's, you know? I, I think that's a totally fair perspective. And like, I do think that, um, I don't know. I, do, I, I, I try to, I, I'm kind of watching it through that lens of like, if it were, if it were me, and that were to happen to me, I'd be like, I don't really care who's going to see this thing. I'm like, right. Like I like these, I'm like, it seems like they got on set with all of these people from the old days and they had a, like, I feel like they had so much fun making it. And like, they that like they was did. the goal, right? Like they didn't seem like they were out there to make a good movie specifically for everybody. They made the movie for them. And like, that's actually what kind of got them going to begin with. So like, even in that respect, it pays homage to like what he's, what he's done. But I, I could see like that, not, landing right like and and that i think is ultimately why um especially like the first like third of the movie the first time i watched it i was i think i was feeling the exact same way i was like but what are we like what are we doing we're we're reshooting the scenes like okay but like for what purpose like what's what's going on but like getting to that's why i did you get do have you only seen it once mike so i i of all the movies he's made since zach and miri i've watched all of them once Okay, and I think this one would have been that, but when Al told me I was going to be on, I was like, "I better," because I'm not going to lie. When I saw it in the theater, I did not audibly laugh one time, mm. which breaks my heart as a Kevin yep. Smith fan. Yeah, and when I re when I rewatched it, I did not audibly laugh once. The best I managed was a smile here and there, and like you guys just did the Flash recently. Mm-hmm. To everybody's detriment, not your podcast, the movie. <laughs> but there is a scene in that that got more of a smile and almost a laugh out of it related to Kevin Smith than this movie did. Um, uh, I think Anthony would know the scene. Yeah, <laughs> are you talking uh, about Nicholas Cage Superman? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and so I'm. I'm not going to lie. I saw that movie in the theater. I, I'm embarrassed, but I saw it in the theater. And the moment I saw long hair, I, I smiled and I giggled. It I'm <laughs> yep. like, it, it finally hit the big screen. You know, if you ever want entertainment, Al, watch Kevin Smith talk about the script he wrote, he wrote for that and him talking to John Peters, the producer for Warner Brothers. <laughs> it is some of the most entertaining stuff you will ever hear. I've never you heard know. him actually talk about it, but I've, I've like read about the situation. So uh, pro- hearing him like talk about it in like interview form or whatever would probably be interesting or like, you know, just him riffing. For and what's wild is hearing John Peters not refute it, but 
almost echo it. Like, wait, you, he wait, he was saying it accurately? Like, I was waiting for the part where Kevin Smith is embellishing, and then they sure. go to John Peters, and he's saying the exact same stuff. <laughs> and you're like, wait, this idiot is really saying it the same way? <laughs> that's, yeah, that is that's that's so great. I'll see if I can find it for you, Al. It's it's, it's really um, good. He did two. There's two, if not three, DVDs of him going on college tours for live Q and A's, two hours long, and the two centerpieces were his John Peters story, and then one time when he worked with Prince over the course <laughs> of a few weeks. Stuff I I, I could never hope to repeat the way he did yeah so entertaining so entertaining it's so it's it's so good but like even like going back though like they like what you're saying like not not really cracking a smile and i i I get that and i think that may i i I do really i I genuinely think that's a fair criticism i a lot of it uh it definitely felt like the movie wasn't necessarily made for us uh which is weird it's right? not and meant like, to tickle you in the same way that most of his others. I mean, I think it was cathartic for him. You know? Sure. Well, I. Yeah. It, this is probably the most like emotional and like realized movie he's made since Chasing Amy, um, which like makes some sense because they're both dealing with much more serious like topics and much much more. Real life things as ridiculous both as the premise personal, of that movie both is. Both very personal to him. But yeah, very, very personal. Like, you know, I, I don't know his history and stories in those way. You guys would know much better than me. But as someone observing from the outside looking in, like that movie, I'm sure he didn't, or I, actually, I'm not sure. I suspect he didn't meet the love of his life who was a lesbian and it didn't work out because he was a giant moron, right? Which is what that movie is about. <laughs> uh, but the. Closer, I'm sure what he was closer to when Silent Bob says more than two lines, which is to tell the Chasing Amy story. That's the core of what happened in real life and what he found a creative outlet in which to um, get all of that off his chest in an entirely different way is what that movie is about. And this is the same thing, literally getting it off his chest. He had a heart attack and he needs to talk about the duality of the outcomes of surviving a heart attack versus not surviving a heart attack. Right. Cause that's what this movie is ultimately about is someone who never, it's the two versions of him. It's the little kid within him who loves star Wars and superheroes who survived the heart attack. And it's the real person who tried to live a real life and doesn't survive a heart attack. And it's all of the mishmash of all of those versions of him within himself mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense for this movie to not a hundred percent be coherent because there is no way for all of those things to be coherent within a person. So I will give him the grace of all of that and why some of the jumble of this movie is the way it is, because I think there is no way to coherently put all of that onto the screen in a two or less hour movie. Um, and I, I appreciate you know, to the point you were making before, Anthony, I appreciate what it takes to make this movie, what it takes of the creator to make mm. this movie. Um, and I, I do have a real appreciation for that, even if it ultimately means that the movie can't be like a, uh-huh. a rip roaring comedy. And I, I 
wasn't as harsh as you, Mike. I, there was a couple of things I, I chuckled at, but yeah, it's it's not funny in the way that Clerks Two is, or even Clerks One is. You know, and it's obviously not as stupid funny as like the Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back type of thing is, or you know, Mole Rats. That that is also uh, I think really interesting about this because I feel like on top of like just this movie being like uh, uh, kind of he, like rehashing like how he's feeling about things and like the experience that he's going through, he explains like he's probably going to go into a depression at some point, like like right that was like the the explanation of the doctor. Like if you think about well, rebooted came out after his heart attack, mm-hmm. and rebooted I thought was hysterical. Really funny. Brought a lot of people in. Was disjointed and all over the place, but a lot of funny jokes. Like all of the people came back. Everybody's like excited and saying like happy to be there. Like glad he's alive. Like things like that. And then this feels like the like the depression side of that. Yeah. Right. And I like if you when you look at the arc of his movies, I really feel like that that's something interesting to look at. Like it, it doesn't make it a better movie. Like just because you're like you know adding it to the whole like the bigger picture, but. Um, I'm okay with it for that reason. I just like, feel like there's like such a journey that you go on with his movies, and uh, it's just so that it's just so interesting to me. Um, I'm gonna love everything that he makes. Even I'm gonna find I'm gonna find the fun in it. Uh, it like Tusk you, included. I was, like, saying, I was like just the, about to say Yoga even Tusk included. <laughs> um, it's just it, this this one was an easier sell for me, obviously, because it just Clerks is is. Uh, it's just so near and dear to my heart, as I mentioned. I actually, I was thinking back on it uh, when I was writing my notes for for this for tonight's episode. We've talked about, and I wrote an article about it on the the Spin Tune a while back. But the movie night with myself, right? We talked about it was John Wick. That was the first one that I wrote the article about. Like when I kind of like reintroduced this concept, I got myself some popcorn. I sat by myself. I watched the movie. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The first movie that I did this with was Boondock Saints. I had heard about it. I um I was in high school and you know some friends had told me about it and I was just like this sounds so fascinating I had friends that were working at, in Blockbuster at the time there was a sale copy of like the uh, I and I just went for it there's a sale copy of the uh, of the seal book and I was like let me just I'm just gonna buy it it's like it's like five dollars more than renting it let me just buy it and I bought it and I went home and I watched it and I was blown away and I like right, I love Boondock Saints we've talked about that so many times. But Clerks was the second one. I bought the 10th anniversary box of Clerks. And that was the first Kevin. I was happy that the first Kevin Smith movie that I had seen was his first movie. And then like I then I just started rolling through the catalog. And I was just like, this were these movies made explicitly for me? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, they're so good. Like, <laughs> Mike, Mike agrees. He's he, like, Absolutely. He, <laughs> and it's just like, I, I've just been a forever fan ever since that first that first one that I watched. And it's just it's just been really fun to kind of grow up with those movies. <laughs> it is. And it's, you know, he, I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I re-listened to the mole rats podcast, so I wouldn't repeat myself, <laughs> which by the way, for anyone that listens to it, if you hear what sounds like a brawl at points, that's me hitting the table laughing. <laughs> <laughs> when Anthony talks about the stink palm, with Brody oh, and, and Brandy's father, I I was I'm I'm guilty. Um, yeah, but no, guys, I was the one banging the table when Anthony talked about uh, Brody with the stink palm with Brandy Svenning's uh, father, and I, I I I was just I was laughing Mr. nonstop. Spending to you, that's true. That's true. Um, but 
I, I had a hard time with his movies after um, Zach and Miri. So as much as I'm not a fan of this one, I think it was his best since that. Okay. I, even though I didn't laugh, I got to be honest, for the past 10 years, I really haven't laughed much at Kevin Smith's movies, which breaks my heart. I listen to him a lot, whether it's his podcast or seeing him live. It's just uh, hasn't been quite the same. Um, sure. But that being said, you know, he already left that indelible mark. You know, he's the guy <laughs> that put, you know, how many store, how many uh, contractors died on the Death Star? when it was being rebuilt, like something that totally is a conversation I should have had, but never did, you know? Well, I do wonder if there was a a point to, and we talked about a little bit on the last episode with, with Gary, um, after, uh, was, I guess what's called Jane Silent Bob strike back was the last of like the actual view askew. Oh no, sorry. Clark's two was after that. Right. So yeah, so Clark's two was the last of his, his movies. And he goes off and does a lot of studio movies after that, right? He does so Zach he and Jersey, He had Jersey Girl after Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And then after Jersey Girl, he did Clerks 2. Then he did Zack and Miri, which had nothing to do with the Viewers universe. Yeah. So I guess and it kind of started, he dipped his toes in with Jersey Girl, right? Because that movie is generally considered horrible, right? It's, you know, it's not thought of like the others. Yeah. I think it, a lot of people I, I don't like think it. It, it. It doesn't get the recognition it deserves. It's not, it, it's not like horrendous or anything. I, yeah, I've it, heard that it's horrible. I never saw it. So I, it's not my opinion. What um, didn't help Al is it was right around the time he was dating Jennifer Lopez. So it, that and Geely got creamed. Geely's terrible for the record. Yeah. It's, it's awful. <laughs> um, but yeah, those movies, yeah. Those movies got creamed before they ever even really came out. Yeah. Um, so, but anybody who's a parent, they speak fondly of Jersey Girl. It wasn't for me, but I'm, I'm not upset about it. Um, but Cop Out was a bad studio experience, and then well, that's really- what we were. That's what we were talking about last week with the with the episode. And so I want. I mean, like I like Zachary. Like I think it's a a good funny movie. It's not perfect. It's not like the best comedy in the world. But like I like that movie. But like I think. You know, for better or worse, like he, you know, ultimately he had to kind of learn the lesson of like he needs to do his own. He needs to execute his own vision, whether or not he maybe he needs an editor just to help tighten. Um, you know, he needs to do his own thing. I think, which it sucks. Like I know it's harder. Like you have to get the funding yourself and all that shit. Like I'm just I'm, o- I'm okay with all of these tangents that he's made specifically for all of the Justin Long characters we've gotten. Well, okay. Randy St. Randy is incredible. <laughs> I'm glad you bring that up. Randy St. Randy, Randy is incredible. I could not get past the obvious voice he was putting on in this movie. He looked like sure. a 40-year-old man attempting to impersonate an 80-year-old man. <laughs> his mouth. I couldn't stop him. Like Andy Sedaris or uh, sorry, Amy Sedaris was very good. Like I liked her as the doctor. But every time that Justin Long spoke, I was like, oh, my God, why am I so hard on this accent? But Jack and Mary, I loved him. I thought he was so funny in that. Well, it was funny when he was playing this big, ridiculous character. But it was the first time that he was doing that specific thing. And just the absurdity of it, it works. 
Um, especially because like that version of it, he plays like kind of this worldwide, like eccentric character versus this possibly not all there nurse, I think is, is why it doesn't work as well this time (laughs) around. Um, but yeah, I would just, yeah, to finish that point, I, I think after clerks two, he goes full studio and the, it's just clear. He's not meant to, to do those movies, whether it be them not liking him, whether it be him not liking them, there is a tension there that just doesn't show up right on screen. He's a very efficient filmmaker. He can make movies for very cheap. Every movie he's made the past 10 years has been insanely cheap. Um, So that is an appeal for anybody that will make a movie with him. But with that comes a story that's hit or miss. But he's yeah. very efficient. He can make these. So with Rosario Dawson, I really, to build off your point, I do think it was planned that she was her character was killed because at tops he would have needed her one month. That that's how fast they filmed this thing. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even know if they probably like it, it's probably a week for her, right? Like mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It's probably nice for her to not have to wear all that prosthetic and makeup. So she probably appreciated that part of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say I loved the My Chemical Romance song to start the movie. Welcome to the Black Parade's a great song. Shocking to me that they used something that contemporary relative to what I feel like his cues would be, and yet also that song is almost 20 years old. It, it is. And <laughs> no, you <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> no, it's a fantastic sh- song. Don't get me wrong. I was shocked. I was like, oh, I, I'm very genuinely surprised that he's using My Chemical Romance as opposed yeah. to like some of the like his earlier movies using much older reference points. Um, but also, in its own way, this is a very old reference point. <laughs> it, is. it is. And then him using Pearl Jam with uh, Just Breathe at the end. I love that song. It was a little strange having a Clerks movie not end with Soul Asylum. Which is a very very '90s band, um, but uh, those—I hate saying it—those are my two favorite parts because those are songs that are on my phone. Like I love those songs. Um, Al, I, you mentioned—I think it was Ready Player One—the term "weaponized nostalgia." Yes. Well, no, sorry, it wasn't Ready Player One. Uh, that was, I believe, in reference to Stranger Things. Oh, well. It's one of those two things for sure, but it's it's a it's a juggling act. With any time you see a sequel, how much of our reactions is oh, it's that thing I know I'm gonna like this, Mm -hmm. and so I think I said this to you guys the last time I was on Clerks Two. I thought was gonna fall flat on its face. What else did he have to say? And man, was that a home run! That movie was so funny. I I don't even understand how. Like, yeah, it's it's not it's not at all the first movie yet it embodies everything and right? it's perfect and it's funny and al still hasn't seen it and it's going to be great when he does <laughs> see what didn't you Clark say you haven't two. seen two no i said that's my probably oh my that's your favorite okay. well, it's between that and mall rats probably okay. like, actually so, mall rats is probably my favorite one but no i've seen i've seen all of them oh, okay but he used like elias was used in small doses in that movie and with his sheer ignorance and Innocence compared to Randall, it was perfect. And while I wasn't a fan of Elias in this movie, I really wasn't a fan of the sidekick. Mm. And well, I thought the gist of it was they were trying to give him his own Silent Bob and showing how like that's like they a are different and experience. To cr- to credit Kevin Smith again, 
he will never turn down a friend or a relative. So the uh, blockchain is his daughter's boyfriend. Ah, that no okay. Idea. So he's he's looking out for people, or blockchain. half of the people. <laughs> I forgot that was the character's name. <laughs> oh, believe me, I had to. I needed the second viewing because he was just annoying guy the first time I watched it. I needed to physically write <laughs> it down. Um, but you know, half the people that auditioned are people that he either podcasts with. He had the girl that plays Supergirl as one of the auditioners because he directed Supergirl episodes. Uh, These yeah. are people he's built relationships with. Uh, her husband is Chris Wood, who voiced. He-Man in the Masters of the Universe series Kevin Smith made. So he constantly looks out for the people he works with, and I respect that. Well, they look that, out for him, too. I mean, Ben Affleck has no business being within, like, he, uh, an entire he, country of this movie. He doesn't, but I think he still, I think, that, look, there was a decade they did not talk, probably longer. But I think Affleck still knows that without chasing Amy, he's not considered... For those oh, next level. Now, what do you call it came out the same year? Good Will Hunting came out the same year. And Affleck was great in that. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what Al Bielsi says. Affleck was great in that. You know. He, he's fine. The scene where he tells him to fucking grow up. Like that was. A, he was good in that scene. It was kind of awesome. Yes. Yeah. You know. And look. I have my own hatred of certain actors. It's just Affleck's not on that list. Wait. I didn't know about the thing about them not talking for a long time. Um, when he was married to Jennifer Garner. They they did no movies together. I mean, look, Kevin Smith has a podcast called or called Fat Man on Batman. Yeah. And he never had the current Batman on it who he knew for a long time. You know, and this is what I speculate. Affleck had a hard time with drinking and gambling. He had his addictive personalities. And I love Kevin Smith, but. He has a very addictive personality, and I think I I speculate that whether it was Affleck that decided it himself, or that Jennifer Garner did. Like you know what, your personalities don't mesh. Kevin Smith never touched weed, and then all of a sudden he was the biggest pothead there was, mm-hmm. like out of nowhere. And so I could see somebody saying, "Look, you're somebody who's battling with your demons." And you're going to go hang out with a guy that all of a sudden smokes weed all day long, every day? You know, you have kids. You, you can't be going over there and dealing with that. That's me speculating. I don't know mm. that for sure. Sure. Um, well, I mean, this is the stuff that's, like, interesting hearing from you guys. Because, like I said, you guys are, like, you know, Smith scholars in the way that I'm <laughs> not. And just won't. Well, but so he, he had the best part in Jay and Silent Bob reboot. He really had yeah. a great scene. Oh, my it. God. It was a great scene. Sorry. You know? And I'm, I, I've watched that scene over and over again. <laughs> you know, I saw that I saw that movie and remember enjoying it, but you've you guys have each brought it up like now, and I realize I have almost no actual memories of that movie for some reason. He um he and Smith didn't talk for years, and he wasn't going to be in that movie. And whatever it was, somebody else asked Smith, "Why don't you give Affleck a call?" And Smith didn't even consider it because they hadn't talked for so long, and reached out, and he said, "Of course, I'll be in it." Like it. It was almost one of those things where Smith was embarrassed. Like, what if I reached out sooner? Could mm-hmm. we have maybe started talking again sooner, you know? I also wonder at a certain point, um, and I don't remember what Smith's quotes on this, but I feel like he's, in my limited memory of this, is the only person who came out somewhat clean over this. But um, 
the um oh what the fuck is the guy's name weinstein yes uh smith's the only one who kind of didn't get that thrown on him and his reputation so he is that is there any possibility like the like the timeline is kind of lining up on this Mm -hmm. that we're talking about right like did smith break ranks on the weinstein thing in a way that affleck and damon and all them didn't Yes, he broke down. I think, I don't know if Anthony would have heard the podcast. He broke down in one of the podcasts where he said, like... I suspect it might be that has a lot to do with it, though. This is a guy that looked out for me when I came to Hollywood. I didn't know anybody, and he bought my films, and he, like, he, he said, this guy looked out for me. I didn't know anything about this. But then he said, any proceeds I get from this point forward will go toward women in film. I, I believe that was the name of it. He said, like, I, I'm embarrassed. And, and it, so, like, if you try to get the movie Dogma, it's very hard to find because it's wrapped up with Miramax. I don't know why that one is harder to get than any of the others. Mm-hmm. But they talk about Dogma as being very difficult to get because of its entanglements with Weinstein. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't thought about Dogma in a long time, and now I'm going to rewatch that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember really enjoying it, and I only saw it the one time when I went through this whole series of movies, like, all in one, when, um, when, when I guess you and your brother put together a, a care package for me of movies yes. to watch. So. My brother's like, here you go, Al. You're, you're watching <laughs> Yes. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I wondered about that with the whole nostalgia piece. Because I get mad... At a lot of sequels. Most sequels let me down. Uh, I think it's even harder the longer it is between the original and the sequel, right? Like, uh, I, I, you know, when you make a sequel three years after a movie comes out, like, you at least have a chance to carry the threads through. Like, all the people are in a similar enough place in their life where you could write a story that honors the first one. Your actors and actresses are convincing in that role. Whereas when you make a movie and then you make a sequel 12 years later, it's hard to tap into that same energy for any yeah, of the people is, involved. This is 16 years after Clerks 2. And Clerks 2 was, what, like 12 years after the first one. Correct. I think they, they balanced it well in that one, but I think they were also it's still in the thick of making all of those other movies where it's not really 12 years when you look at it as a continuation of that whole series. Right? Yeah, and the stuff that was funny in that was the whole Lord of the Rings piece yeah. You know, the, them arguing that or the Transformers where this, I felt like was constantly going back to the stuff that I loved in 94 or talking about things for way too long, like say NFTs for too long. <laughs> use it as one right. joke. Don't use it over and over. And uh, I, I don't know. It, it it just didn't ring ring for me. And it, again, yeah. I love Kevin. I want to see more of his stuff, but it, yeah, it just didn't hit. So what did you feel about the specifically, like the reframing of some of those classic scenes from the first movie? Like as they're doing it with like the extremely meta, we're reframing a scene from the first movie on screen as we shoot that in a movie we are making. We're now like three degrees of separation. Of. I, I think Anthony hit it on the head about I think it was more fun for them to make. I can only imagine how much fun that must have been to make having experienced it all already. For me, I saw it as unoriginal. You know, like I I think he's got funnier stuff in the chamber, so to speak, and he didn't go for that. That was how I felt. 
Because I really enjoyed this one I, we talked about, I think, in the last episode was the first act of the movie was confusing to me. I didn't know what the movie was going to be about. I kept waiting for the plot liftoff. Five, four, three, two, one. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's a cinephone reference. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I just didn't like, and, and also you know, to the, what you were saying, I was like, oh God, is this not going to be good? Is this not going to be funny? Is this not going to be clerks? Because I associate mm-hmm. clerks with comedy. Um, even though yes. I feel like the comedy of the first and second one are pretty wildly different in a lot of ways. They are, um, but each have well over a hundred laughs a piece. I sure. probably passed that number. But um, I, I, and the final act is for a movie that that tackles very serious things and and sometimes very serious ways. That, you know, the final act is almost dark. You know, it's certainly bittersweet, as Anthony mentioned in his review. The middle third, I enjoyed. I thought that was what I was getting when I signed up for this movie. It was fun. It was entertaining. It was engaging. It was propulsive. As they're talking about in a way that only amateurs who don't know how to make a movie could mi- talk about making a movie while also having the wink nod at the camera of we've made movies before. And so we're making the jokes about those are probably the conversations that he had when he was making the first one, right? Like that is a, both the nostalgia and the meta of the clerk's experience distilled down into a way that could be entertained and absorbed by the viewer. And I, I appreciated uh, kind of the degree of difficulty in getting that into a, an interesting um, and an entertaining at times way. I enjoyed the middle third of this movie, and you still get some of the feels because I guess it's around that one two turn where the cemetery scene happens, right? Hmm. Yes, and a lot of the actors, a lot of the actors from the first Clerks were in this movie. People yeah. that I don't know would have still been alive, <laughs> right? <laughs> Like the guy, the contractor guy from the first clerks that he talks about uh, having turned down doing like roofing at a mafia man's house. <laughs> he knew of the dangers because he walked in on the Death Star conversation. He was still in this movie. Yeah. You know, Kevin Smith's mom, she was in this movie, uh, which, by the way, in both Clerks and Clerks 2, she's the one going through the milk looking for the date. That will expire far later in the future. And yep. in this movie, it's his daughter that's the one doing the same thing. Yeah, Looking yeah, at the yeah. Oatly, which I thought was a funny twist. Yeah. You know, so that 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 was sweet seeing that. That, you know, it was his mom and now his daughter. That was pretty cool. But you, you're all, I mean, you're all making, like, really good points about this, especially, like, with the constant, like, um, kind of reframing of, of scenes that were already shot. Like, it's almost like a weird, like, clerks uncanny valley like because it's like redoing some of those scenes with like different it's like it's it's like it's trying to be clerks but it's not it's not quite there and like the things that make the first two movies clerks is like the first one is it's really like while there's a storyline that dante is going through right the heart of the movie is is the dumb conversations they're having working at a convenience store, right? Like so what it's is, always been about, right? And, right. Whether and it be that, at a convenience store, whether it be at a movie store, whether it be at a fast food chain, whether it be yes. back at the same thing or anywhere else in between, like it's always well, been about these two morons having moronic conversations. It, exactly, yes. and that and that those are the things that really resonated with me um, because, like, you're working working at the pizzeria for twelve hours on every Saturday for years. Like those were the dumb conversations we were having. Oh, I had, I lived the same experience, man. Valeting for how many years in like high school and college. And, Oh, we have a 10 hour shift 
and we have to fill seven or eight of them with just the three or five or ten of us sitting around. Mm -hmm. And some of us are all have been friends from high school. Some of them are just guys we know from this job and all the different permutations of those stupid, (laughs) stupid conversations. Right. And and just like, and always coming, like always like ultimately being framed around like this would be the greatest job in the world if it weren't for the fucking customers. (laughs) Right. Like that, like always that. And, but Dante's going through something, right? Like he's going through like uh, in the first one, it's a it's a relationship crisis. Like he's not sure where he is, like what he's doing, like who he loves, who he doesn't love. Like the, like he's like taking his relationship for granted. He's looking at what could have been. It's also, I mean, it, it ends up being a chasing Amy storyline, like down the line. But it, it's that right. In the second movie, the reason why it works so well in hindsight is that they took that entire formula of we are at work, we are having dumb conversations. They just raised the stakes. They're older now. They're yes. like it's a much more serious thing that's happening when Becca's pregnant, right? Yeah, and then yes. they ask, like, but the rest of the stuff doesn't stop, right? Yeah, and you you but, reframe it through the, the 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 lens of it's an idiot who hasn't grown up, an idiot who is not trying to grow up but is being forced to, mm-hmm. and then a third idiot who is is he capable of being a functioning human being in any way, shape or form? And just watching like the mishmash of those three things bounce off each other. And then, but then you get the third movie and I feel like my expectation going in is we're going to get more of these conversations, but we don't, we never get, we don't get any of those new conversations. We have like a one-off about NFTs like here and there, like we have like little, little stuff, but there's a lot that is just, it's it regurgitation, my unoriginalized microphone. Actually, so, like, some of the, the the actual conversations we get is Jay and Silent Bob not understanding that they don't have to be drug dealers now. They can just that, say, that was fun that was <laughs> funny with the, the fake drug deal or yes. acting all and they didn't have to. That yeah, was pretty funny. Uh, the, the, that was good. But like but ultimately like it it missed it was missing that one piece of it, which is like the 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 through line through clerks and clerks too is we are, it's like a day at work. It's one day, right? Each of those movies is one day. Yeah. yeah. And this is work. a much longer timeline. Yeah. And they are, and they, it's just like a day in the life, but also life is happening. Yeah. You're only like, you're, you're getting this much of the life storyline and this much of the day. And they flipped that in the third movie and it didn't, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel like clerks because of that. Yeah. Um, which. Oh, I sorry. I just thought about Clerks too. But when he said when they were having their fight at the end of the movie, and he says, "I would, I would buy the, what do you say? I would buy the quick stop and run it myself." Like that. That line, I, like that, gets me every time. <laughs> and I was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> One of my favorite so running wonderful. jokes in this whole thing has always been the the signs. I assure you, we're open. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and they they call out to that stuff by keeping the shutters closed so that you can film at night, but pretend it's during the day without sunlight coming in. Yeah. Or when Smith talks about how, um, by filming it in black and white, it looks like it's going through a security camera, which clerk, uh, critics of the original clerk said, Oh, look at the commentary he's making about it. And Kevin Smith's like, I didn't intend that. Black it was just fucking cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, it's because of that, you know. 
Uh, I always, I, you always gotta love the one Silent Bob delivery in every one of the movies. Even in this one, it was great. That was that, right? It was, yeah. He just, he was so, he was so pissy with Randall, and it was, I, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I got you a cinematographer. <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> I also, I also love when when uh, Dante's delivering his very emotional line, like he's got the camera on him and then ultimately it was just like he's like just let's we're not going to record this this is actually oh, he turns the camera right he turns it <laughs> yeah. away yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that was a good scene this, so I would- and I, that's the thing there's like a couple there are a couple of like of fun like really good scenes there are a couple of like you know clerk's dna scenes in there but the whole movie doesn't resemble a clerk's flick or what i what i've come to love as a clerk's movie yeah, and, and again, like you said, Anthony, seeing it live, it, it's something about seeing Smith with a crew of Smith people. Mm-hmm. It is a different feel. I saw this with my cousin and two of his buddies, and when that movie ended, he turned and said, what'd you think? And I was like, I didn't like it. And he said, mm-hmm. he goes, dude, you gotta lighten up. Mm-hmm. So I'm a notoriously hard grader <laughs> with movies. I am. I'll admit it. I, I grade very hard with movies, and this one was no different in that respect. So, you know, I, I have to own that, you know. Well, it's also the burden of expectation, right? Because you love you love so many of his movies. You hold them to a standard that it can be hard to uphold. And then on top of that, there is, and this is, you know, probably a little too real for this show. Although, we, you know, we get real sometimes, but you're getting older Mm-hmm. And even more so, he's getting older. Mm-hmm. And the stories that you have always enjoyed, whatever, wherever you are on the maturity scale, with respect to yourself, forget about anyone else. And you've had a very successful career and life and you take care of yourself and all that stuff's great. But whatever you've enjoyed in your media, I'm sure has matured quite a bit from when you watched the first of his movies. But it can't compare to a man who's married, raised kids, had a heart attack, had his career rise and fall and rise and change and all these different variations that he could never, for as much as he loved movies growing up, getting to make movies is the achievement of a lifelong dream. And then there is the jading that comes along with what actually goes into making movies is not the pie in the sky dream that he had as a, as a kid and all of that. And the story that he needs to tell with all of those things informing it, even if he made this, it was a 10 out of 10 for an outside critic for someone who's been with him all, all along. I don't know if it could, I don't know if it was possible for this movie to be what you wanted it to be. And that doesn't, make it right or wrong doesn't make you right or wrong no it's 100 percent fair because in in 29 years i've changed he's changed and we have not changed the same way 100 percent accurate hmm. you know i can't argue that one bit you know everybody's lives diverge and you know i mean my favorite comedy is what we do in the shadows and that has some dim-witted humor but yeah. it's but it's still a different humor than 30 years ago humor yeah. You know, um, yeah, it, it's funny. It's funny that you put it that way, Al, because it's like if I think back on, uh, it's like it's like relationship with friends over time. Like if I think back on like the older movies, it's like these were for me. Like I love them; they're perfect. 
uh, and seeing some of his newer stuff, it's more like catching up with a friend that you haven't seen in a really, really long time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like there's still, there's still some DNA there like that, that you share, but like, it's not the, it's just not, it's not exact. It's not the same feeling. And it can't really be, um, you're not going to be, there was a small time in like a snapshot in time where like you were kind of like at the same place. Um, and now you're not, and that's fine. But yeah. And it's also, there's no accounting for how those things go, right? You have someone you knew when you were six years old, who you're going to be lifelong friends with forever, no matter what, even because you guys, even though you're both changing in different ways, you've done it at the same time and you can appreciate in each other, what's going on. You had the person you were friends with from then who, like you said, Anthony, you don't really see so much. And it's really nostalgia that's holding you together. And you're only held together in that way because it's occasional. If you saw them mm-hmm. every day, you maybe wouldn't be as close anymore. And there's sure. the person who was your best friend. You were inseparable for three years when you were like 13 to 16 years old. And then you never talked to them again after you're like 20. And it's like, <laughs> there, there's no way to know which of those outcomes is going to happen at any point along you know, the person that you think is the person you're going to grow apart from is the one you end up being friends with for 50 years. And the one that you thought you could never not be friends is someone you'll never see again. And you didn't realize the last time you saw them would be the last time you saw them. Right. You know, and that's a its own sort of mindfuck, right? When you think mm-hmm. about it years later, oh, shit, that was the last time. And in that moment, if you asked me, I'd be like, yeah, we'd be best friends forever. We're going to die on our deathbeds two weeks apart at 88 years old, you know? And you know what? Maybe we're all not that far off because I feel like this exact conversation is what this movie is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not bad as a, just a conversation point, a conversation starter on people growing up and talking about the things that matter or don't matter and how you rate them and, and what point and what, how important they are to you at any given time. Because Talking about things like you're going to have a heart attack if you don't take care of yourself or your relationships went X, Y, and Z or your wife died or you never got married or whatever it is. And I have the love of my life and have the most perfect and actionable version of you know, whatever the, that is. <coughs> Having those conversations or being able to talk about the minutiae of contractors on the Death Star. <laughs> They're all important and valid. They just have to be in the right place and time, you know, and yeah. one's given life, whether it be the point in their life or just on that day or week. Right. Sometimes yeah. we need to fire up this and argue about the death star. And sometimes we need to fire this show up and talk about the important things like growing up. Right. Yeah, indeed. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Any other any, any thoughts? Any well, I do have one points? other thing I wanted to discuss because yeah, I talked go. I talked around it last week because I didn't want to spoil it for anyone who was showing up to that episode. Oh, yeah. I meant to flash. ask you about this because I didn't know in the moment because it had been such a long time since I'd seen it. When you rewatched it, you, you probably knew what I was talking about. I, I still uh, then I couldn't remember what you had said. So I conversation. as much as I was saying earlier, I appreciated that it was going to be hard for this movie to be a hundred percent perfectly coherent and cohesive because of the jumble of thoughts and emotions that are going through a person dealing with his mortality and all that sort of stuff. So when Randall has a heart attack that informs Dante going to the cemetery, when he's talking about making the movie and he has the whole thing with, he's talking about crush me. It devastated me, but I moved on with my life, whatever. 
and you come to terms with the conversation with the ghost of Becca that he hasn't in a real mm-hmm. way. He's been in cruise control for however many years it's been since she's died, which is understandable. And that whole conversation is about him coming to terms with his grief and trying to write the next chapter of his life because he's not that old. Like he still has a lot of life. This isn't an 80 year old man mourning the loss of his wife. It's a 40 something year old or 50 year old, whatever man mourning the loss of his wife. And I was, we've all talked about it. It was a really powerful scene. It's well written. It's well acted. It's well directed. I loved it. I thought the two of them were great. Rosario's great. Brian's great. Like it's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And he takes that message and you see him going through the steps of trying to actually process his grief in a way that he hasn't done. Use it to motivate himself to do and be and find out what the next chapter of his life looks like. And then he dies. Mm -hmm. And I really like how each of those things could have happened in this movie, but they don't actually mesh together within the script of this movie they're like you would want him to actualize over the course of the rest of the movie which he's doing in the second and third act um but he doesn't actually get to write the next chapter of his life because he dies a few weeks later sure just from like a script standpoint like that doesn't work i feel like that's kind of the i i i I, maybe i'm I'm not maybe i'm not fully understanding what you're saying i feel like that is kind of the point though is that like there is a there's also like within his character like he may be like there's two pieces to it there is the okay now he's finally dealing with it and he's finally starting to live his life and then he dies and isn't it ironic and a lot of more sets god but (laughs) but the other the other part of it is like there's also like you can choose to make like you know to start living your life that way and also slip back into not which he does at one point during that, right? Ultimately, he sli- when he ends up having that fight with Randall, he's actually slipping back into his actual normal state, which is he can't he can't go through things. He's constantly he's Dante is a very depressed character, like yeah. in a like, and he he's living in that and never quite getting the right assistance or like ever really dealing with it properly. And just deciding to deal with it, and I, I think it's actually important, like the, the the actual timing of all that, like deciding to deal with it and starting to deal with it, like maybe riding that high for a minute, and then all of a sudden it's like, but he's still who he is and hasn't quite dealt with it yet, and he is a depressed person, and he is having like he does struggle with life, and he like all he has been dealt a raw deal, even if it, it was a self fulfilling prophecy prophecy because he's been saying that he's been given a raw deal like since day one and then ultimately he did get like it's it is actually a really dark story and like for him to ultimately fall back into that and die and not make it out like it i actually think that kind of works like it's it's morbid and horrible and a really depressing story but it's i don't know it's it's a, i feel like it's a very real story so I have thoughts on that, but I saw Mike agreeing with points that both of us were making, despite the fact that we're disagreeing with. So I'd like to hear <laughs> where he lies on the spectrum of our two arguments on this. Um, I, I mean, I guess you could. I, I side a lot. I thought this is where you were going last week when I listened to last week's episode, Al. That he had the scare with his best friend having that, and would he shape up? That's in fact what happened to Kevin Smith. He's healthier than he's been arguably in his whole life. But maybe working at the quick stop 
which this, you know, which Dante has now done for better part of 30 years. You're working that same job around the same people, having the same conversations. Is Anthony right that you sort of just fall right back into all the old routines? Despite your best intentions, you still fall all the way back into all of it. You know, I, that's why I was nodding with both of you because I, I see both points of it. You know, yeah, I would say, Al, I think your your criticism is valid, and I agree. And my response is just a potential answer to that, but I don't, I don't know that either one of them yeah, is necessarily I, right. I like think where I think you're making a, an interesting point about it. It's just if we're gonna follow that through, I. S- I'm okay with that in the micro, but it continues to break for me because I feel like you're taking a really well-written part of the script, which is that, that scene with that turn at, mm-hmm. at the, the one, two turn. And we're going to extrapolate that on into narrative and character development, which we see happening. And so if you want to say from a narrative and character perspective, he's going to backslide. Which I'm I'm okay with that theoretically. Sure. Um, the way it manifests itself, it takes the agency away from the character and, and the the story itself because his death then only serves as a plot device. And considering he's been the de facto lead of, the, I mean, I know it's a two hander between him and Randall, but like he's the real main character of the story. He's the mostly the Kevin Smith insert. He be- his death becomes a plot device for uh, maybe character development of Randall at that point because we see that he didn't learn anything from his heart attack. Mm-hmm. But we're still setting up the same self-fulfilling prophecy for him then because, okay, he comes to terms with the fact that he's treating his best friend like shit and that these things are real and serious and that he's become the self-absorbed and narcissistic fuck. Well, he's not become that. He's always been that, but he's finally learned that. And then he's going to kind of become the Dante to Elias's Randall at that point. And that's actually the most depressing point of them all then. So I don't, I won't rule out that you're right on that. I just, I like that even less than what I thought was happening. Mm. If that's the logical conclusion that, that this all leads us to. Cause for me, the, in each of the movies, Dante has learned something and like, yeah, he doesn't ever like lead it to riches and fame and glory and a beautiful piece of life. But like, and I don't remember the first clerk super well, but like at the end of it, he grows up enough to learn that he was in a shitty relationship and he should take more agency, in whatever he's doing or something or other. And then in the second one, he grows enough to learn the fact that he's in a shitty relationship or whatever. And move on some but in this case he re- has like real like he takes actual real steps in that one right he's going to be with becca is someone who actually cares about him for who he is and he cares about for who she is and they have this partnership they're going to build it's not a perfect idealized life like they were going to move to florida or whatever and shit like they're not going to do that they're going to be more realistic in their goals and they're going to be happy with what they've got versus what someone told them that was supposed to be mm-hmm. and then in the third one he comes to terms with the fact that he's in this shitty relationship and uh, no, but in this case it's him and Randall and it's the opportunity for them finally to both grow together. And he starts making amends with people like his ex-girlfriend from the first movie and all that. And his grief with his wife of his 
well, his wife and child's death, and then he dies. And yeah. so, just from a script standpoint, that just doesn't—it just doesn't work for me. Is is I guess what I'm saying. Whereas I feel like the script of the first two movies is really strong, and you get to see real obvious narrative beats and good character development. And I don't—I think the two are at odds in this movie. Yeah, and and that's right. And this kind of—I mean, this goes back to what you were saying before about like uh, some of it being a little bit disjointed, trying to cram yes. all of these things in, right? Because it's like the other part of it could be that like. There's a there's a lot of do what you can with the time that you have, right? There's yeah. like a lot of the of of it, and he ultimately like he starts to turn it around, but then but then there's also like the maybe maybe this little hint of like okay, but this character would backslide, but like he did do what he, like this is who he is, and he did ultimately like he made something better, and then he passed on, and that was fine. But there's also the I, the other side, another side of it where like. Randall and Dante are the same, are two sides of the same coin. They are the same person, and ultimately Dante's side of it is heavier and can't move on and dies off so that Randall's side can move on. And like, yeah. that's like, there's that to it. There's, there's so many competing possibilities and story. I feel like he is, it, it maybe it does. I would agree that it seems like he's trying to say too much. Yeah. Or too. And like, they, and they, well, I just, be, I, he's I, I just worry that things with them, but I just worry that he, he kind of starts to distill down that there's a couple of things he'd like to say. And two of the main things he'd like to say are at odds with each other. That's the only real issue I that's, have. That's, that's fair. Because I think there is a way to do what you're saying. Cause I think you're right. Like in the moment of that fight, well, there's two things. One. Yes. I think he is backsliding a little because he's going back to bitchy Dante. Mm-hmm. But in this case, his bitching, he actually has a good point. Like he has a valid point. He's carrying around this, pain in addition to the, his own pain he's had to prop up his friend through all of this and like yeah he's not actually better better than him like he's better only in the sense that occasionally he tries mm-hmm. versus Randall like never trying um, yeah. and like yeah he doesn't have like the competitive stamina to stay with it in his whole life like which is the point you've been making and you're you're correct to an extent on, on that like a, a pretty substantial extent on that that he is maybe someone who's always going to backslide but the, the point of some of this type of storytelling is it's okay to backslide as long as eventually you dust yourself off and you keep going and advance a little bit, right? Like, yeah, he might take two steps forward, one step back, but then he'll take two steps forward. And like, you'll go really slowly, but you will get somewhere eventually. And so like, there's a, there's an opportunity in that to, yeah, he's going to backslide and throw this temper tantrum, but also like Randall will finally, wake up in some way shape or form and like yeah it'll never be perfect and yeah they'll always scrap and fight a little bit here and there but they'll both be better versions of themselves which is to say the two of them will still be stuck there forever but they'll be good with their lot in life mm-hmm. yeah i just the more that we've been talking about it's just thinking about how like absolutely depressing it is that like dante for two movies is like like everything is shit everything is shit everything is shit and then it hasn't really been. He's actually had, he's been fine. Like everything really is fine, right? Until yeah. everything was shit. And he was like, see, I told you. And then yeah. he dies. Like that's like that. I feel like that's kind Incredibly of. Incredibly Like that's a horrendous arc, but it's, I mean, I know that guy. Like I, yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it sucks. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's dark. Yeah. All that, all that to say, I really did love that scene with him in the movie theater. Oh, uh, yeah. Watching. Them, like it, like as much as like putting behind me the fact that like I don't think those things work together in the script. Like if we're just going to take 
as face value that this is how it's going that to moment, be. Just the moment, yeah. The moment itself, once we've established that this is where it's going to go, that he is going to die in all of this, and the realization with Randall and the acceptance of Dante and how that all goes down and, and the bittersweet joy of watching, you know, his life and, and, you know, being able to move to a point now where, you know, he'll have obviously a very different, but a, a type of relationship with Becca going forward and, and his final line as he signs off, you know, I, well, I trust the director, which is again, self-inserted by Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. but it's still a very strong, um, because it's Brian O'Hara and sign off from the series. Yeah. Not that we suspect that there would ever be a clerks for, um, you know, it's, it's him saying goodbye. It's Kevin saying goodbye to the series as well. Um, you know, and I, it almost brought a tear to me. I, I got emotional in that moment. It's, and, and I don't have the same connection to the series that you guys do. And it yeah. even still affected me in that way. Something about that very spoken definitive end to the series that was, is moving. Yeah. Yeah, it is far more definitive than Clerks 2 was as far as an end. You know, even with the pan out shot turning to black and white, it still is hopeful of looking forward. This is very final. Yeah. All right. Anybody have any anything else they want to add before we wrap this up? Uh, I probably had an, enough more things. So if Mike has any more things. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess I would say is disappointed, and I came down pretty hard on this movie. I've gotten far too many laughs out of Kevin Smith movies that I'll still always give them a shot. Um, I hope to get down to his movie theater for one of his, you know, movies and Q and A's. Um, so I, I hope he still continues to put things out. Well, you let me know when you're in town. I'll come with you. Sounds like <laughs> I actually I drove past the quick stop today. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, you know where, like, where it is? It's like lo- re- relatively local to you? Yeah, it's, it's like 15 minutes away. Okay. It's actually around the corner from uh, Mike, my brother-in-law. Not this Mike. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Mike, thank you for joining us this week. I uh, hope you all have a great week. Tune in next week for more movie and beer goodness. Until then, I'm Anthony Costanzo. I'm Albie Olsey. And I'm Cousin Mike. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. <laughs> <laughs>